Good day. Or good good night. Hello, night and Frank. Good evening. Guten Abend. <laughs> um, how long has it been? It's been a, it's been a minute. Um, yeah, thank you for your patience on this one. I think we've slowed to a one podcast a month trickle. Uh, okay, well, wow. That, I, I come on about every 10 podcasts, so I'll see you guys in about 10 months after this one. <laughs> I think hopefully we'll speed up, but we've been using uh, whatever free time we have for skating. And then summer, I don't know, there's just been events and things. But I'm happy that you're here. There's, I feel like there's lots to talk about and more on top of that. We won't cover everything. We never do. That's true. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on again. Um, did you go on the Colorado road trip? Hasn't happened yet. Oh, okay. I thought that maybe it did. It's One. in three weeks. And uh, that just gets bigger and bigger every year? It, it, has, it has gone up and down over the years. I think that this will be the 15th annual. I'm pretty sure that last year was the 14th annual. If I'm wrong... Uh, someone can correct me, and I would welcome that. But I think that it's right around 15. That's amazing. I think Pop Contest is on its maybe 11th or 12th, so 15 in rollerblading years for an event is very impressive. Well, if there's if there's any old schoolers out there, so um, uh, Luke Bender runs it nowadays, but it's so old that it was started by his older brother, Adam Bender, who many people will know. And then it got passed along. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but uh, Luke, the younger brother, Luke, who's a badass, um, he's running it now, and he does all the site scouting and all the legwork for it. Um, he, does, he does an amazing job. It's it's really There's like, I, some years there have been, I think, as many as 50 cars with as many as you know, one to 10 people per car. And, um, it's, it's, it's a circus, man. And there's, it's a lot of work at the front end of it because, uh, you don't get a lot of cell phone reception when you're out in the, in the mountains. And so he, he, he puts, um, really, really detailed directions and he does, uh, GPS coordinates and all that kind of stuff in advance. So you could load it up on your phone or your email, and whenever you get reception, you can get the directions that way. It's really, really well done. It's really awesome. Yeah, how, that's smart because even just having that many cars, the logistics of trying to have that many people camp. Are there birds around you? Yeah. Uh, there, there, there are. Believe it or not, my next-door neighbor has chickens and ducks <laughs> you can totally hear there's a party happening can you hear the chickens and ducks yeah well the the whole wide internet can hear the chickens and ducks in my in my next door neighbor's backyard <laughs> this is in colorado this is in downtown denver how how has the uh denver life been treating you since the move oh uh, good it's been very good um we've had a lot of rain this year which i think is common for probably everybody except anybody in California. Um, it's been very good. I, I wanted to move back here five years ago, and it took till four years ago to get back. Well, there's a chicken right there. Can you, can you hear him? He's like eight feet from me. Yeah. 
Yeah, he's trying to get in on the podcast. I don't think he has much to say, really. They have a lot to say. I don't know. There's that... whether, whether we can understand it is a whole other thing, but they have a lot to talk about. <laughs> it's it's good. It's eight th- it's eight twenty though here my time, so it'll be dusk soon and they'll pipe down. If it gets to be bad, I can go somewhere else, but I'd I'd like to sit outside for the time being. Oh no, outside's better, and as long as you can hear me, um, as long as my levels are good. Oh and yeah, I'm, over the chickens. And I'm not roboting. Yeah, Luke Bender. Okay, I'm thinking of a really nice rough grind down a kinked rail in a video that sounds very likely and uh more so than other people's rough grinds he he was on the way to making them look pretty pretty good even though some people might done them yeah he's done them down some pretty legit obstacles and uh you're not really gonna see i'm trying to think rough grinds i've seen some rough macchios popping up lately but like a rough a rough mizu, which um, we just called them rough grinds. Mm-hmm. Um, not really around as much. No, no one's really exploring that. The the toe uh, soles, like like a toe macchio, uh-huh. and a heel macchio. I could see those because they're one foot style wise. I could see those maybe popping up here and there. Oh but, wow! I was thinking of both those two feet at the same time, like a daffy, but on a rail. That would be nuts. Holy shit! So wait, da- inward, outward. Um, but daffy, since thirty years ago, has been front foot out front with on the heel yeah. and back foot out back on the toe. Oh, so like the um, most basic of 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 rollerblading maneuvers that would have been in Inline Magazine in nineteen ninety two. Todd's been uh, daffying the fuck out of everything lately and switching up his daffy. Too. That, that also sounds likely. <laughs> you're talking about a daffy grind, so you're talking about like you're doing a toe macchio with your back foot and like a yeah. negative heel macchio with your front foot, or are we X grinding this? Like you would have to actually. Oh yeah, I, to be yeah, to be on the outsides, it would have to be X grind. You, I mean, negative negative would be a whole other deal. I'm surprised. Um, Just added 16 new tricks to the to the vocabulary, man. <laughs> yeah, because you can do front and back. So, and you could do um, yeah. like stub stub daffy grind, and then oh, yeah, wow. So st- if you add stub, then that makes it 32, I think. Okay, I'm not going to be the person who's going to start experimenting with this, but um, I'll try a couple of them. Yeah, nor I. It's it's a very wide stance that you're going to need to balance it. Although um, someone could come along and just have a nice tight squash position, but I don't know. I don't know if that's going to do it. Wouldn't a tight squash position in that stance be the splits? No, wouldn't you could do like. You could do a daffy. Oh, like bring the legs in real close. Yeah, bring them in really close, and then. Um, good. Good luck with that. Yeah, because you'd slip off the grind pretty easily. I yeah. think. Um, I was going to ask you before we got into all the topics. So, we've been doing the the dub like the duck walk grind, but negative, on the box, and I was wondering if you had a name for that. Or knew if there was a name, or would that just be called duck negative, or open book negative? 
Well, I'm I'm not I'm not ever the one to <clears throat> prescribe what things ought to be called because I I don't I don't abide to those kinds of things. But if it were me and I were trying to describe it to somebody else, I would probably describe that as a negative open book. Yeah, that sounds about right. And, and then you and then you would do you could have topside or not. Holy shit! It is possible. Very dangerous. If we were going to topside that one. <laughs> Well, I had I had for for a very long time, and 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 really, I'm still on the on the of the attitude that um, the tricks that have become canonical <clears throat> over the ages uh, have been those tricks which can be built out of individual footed tricks that are sustainable independently. So, for instance, a soul grind. We know that a macchio is sustainable indefinitely. And now we know that a fast slide, uh, unlike when it came out in Hoax 1 and 2 and that era, fast slides are sustainable more or less indefinitely. Um, and so a soul grind is fits in, into the canon very well because it's built out of two one-footed grinds that are themselves sustainable. And if you look at the tricks that have not sort of stood the test of time, like the sidewalk, for instance... Um, it tends not to be built out of two tricks that are sustainable on their own because the first, the front foot is the macchio and that's fine, but the back foot is grinding on the laces. And I had been of that attitude for a long time. And then I saw a video of a guy who jumps on a handicap rail sidewalk and then lifts the macchio foot off and like dangles it on the side of the rail <laughs> and grinds for like the whole rest of the rail and then puts his foot back on and then jumps off. Yeah, I think it was even a 270. I think. I don't think so. I think he just plopped off the end. He may have come out faking it the most, but <laughs> are we talking? Yeah. Um, was it? It was fairly slow. There was a lot of arm waving happening. I'm gonna say yeah, but on video you can never be quite sure. You know, yeah. the video is sped up to a sped up or slow down. You know, to any amount that you can or can't perceive. Um, but the negative macchio is. Uh, you know, forward and backwards is a little bit more closer to canonical than it used to be. Well, <clears throat> what what when a very uh, people people who know me from Woodward back in the day um, will know about a scheme that I came up with identifying ninety-two tricks, and the ninety-two tricks that I came up with uh, <clears throat> had to do with. Um, Let's see, what's the, I haven't thought about this in a minute. Um, so at that time, I believe that there were nine, no, sorry, 11 canonical stances. And we could come up with them if we really want to spend the time, but if we don't want to spend the time, then we can leave it alone. 11, 11 canonical stances. And the front side <clears throat> is um, how I got to the 92. Um, if, you, if you take any canonical stance, like a soul grind, you can do a forward soul grind, a backwards soul grind, a topside soul grind, or a backwards topside soul grind, right? And so this scheme didn't didn't pay any attention to how you jumped on. It paid attention only to the orientation on the object and the direction you were sliding. So you get those four versions of the soul grind, the soul, the top soul, the alley-oop soul, and the alley-oop top soul. 
and then all four of those can be done switch stances or with the opposite foot. So that gives you eight. So if there are 11 canonical stances, that gives you 88. And then front side gives you only four more because a switch alley-oop front side isn't a thing. No, it's not. Right, there's, only, there's only four versions of a front side. But yeah, so switch and regular. Backside, switch and regular. Yeah, front side or back side, and then switch front side and switch back side, and that's it. Yeah. So that was that was the um, that was the original that was my original standard as a as a high schooler. And um, the 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 other the, the thing for determining the eleven canonical stances was that all eight versions of the trick had to have either been done or could feasibly have been done by someone I didn't know about. And so the idea, uh, uh, and uh, sorry, I'm, I'm garbled up here. Uh, down either a kinked rail or a kinked ledge as a way of, 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 you know, kind of mandating that the trick have to be balanced and maintained over a, uh, over a significant, um, you know, period of space. So things like the alley-oop, Topside negative acid down a kink. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I, I welcome anyone to to challenge me on that one. If it's been done, I'd love to see it. There's, we're uh, seeing um negative acid, I think, on kinks, but just more one person doing it. Yeah, yeah. farmer. And, and I, I've seen alley oop negative top acid on on legit things, even ledges. Um, but I've yet to see it on a kink rail or a kink ledge, kink ledge particularly. So <clears throat> the idea is that if it's not sustainable over a down flat down, then it's really not a canonical trick. Um, so my list, for instance, did not include fast slides, negatives, and lots of other tricks. Uh, and, and then some tricks that were circus tricks, like the the cab driver or the cowboy girl or whatever people call the sort of double the Royale Farfanugan trick or the uh, BS grind um, or tabernacle I guess a lot of people know it as is that what yeah, it's called I mean there's there's a lot of those that, I mean I was I was 17 or something when I came up with that scheme so it's not like it was informed by anything other than my own opinion but uh, it, and I probably was closer to a prescriptivist then than I am have been at any other point in my life um, but fast slide you're saying might be in there now or close to. Well, yeah. So you'd need to be able to do all eight iterations. So you need to be able to do front side, fast slide, backside, fast slide. Um, those, those two switch. And then, and then all four of the pud slides, because a, a pud slide ought to be an alley-oop fast line. That would make more sense. Hey, to call it, do you call it, an alley-oop fast slide. That would almost make more sense if we called it that. Do you say... I mean, do you uh, say again, again, I, I'm not going to say what makes the most sense. It's it's for the, the culture to sort out through organic means rather than for me to say what I think is best. Who even knows, though, um, with, with um, the internet and skating splintering off a little bit lately that... Um, we don't really have a trictionary. We've talked about that before, but um, we don't have like a a list that has been agreed upon 
which I don't know yeah. if that's... I think that we do for the canonical tricks and we don't for the non-canonical tricks. Yeah. Do you think we need for um, the non-canonical? Just for someone who's getting into skating and really wants to know everything? No, no. Because no, cause you, don't, you don't like read the encyclopedia and then go buy a pair of rollerblades. You, know? <laughs> you learn that stuff as it comes. I mean, right now, you, you know, you're, you're an expert and you're well entrenched in rollerblading. And, and I'm an expert and I'm well entrenched in rollerblading. And we're sitting here having a discussion and we're talking to each other about what would make sense to describe an open book, a negative open book. And we're having that dialogue now in real time. Language is always living unless the, the language itself is dead and then the entire, you know, sort of fossil record of that language exists and, and doesn't change anymore after that. But a dead language is, is almost useless apart from study and linguistics and anthropology and some other things. So the idea of having a dictionary or an encyclopedia of all the tricks is, is never going to do what you want it to do. And like I've been saying for quite a while now, any effort to codify the language in that way uh, is only an exercise of power and nothing else. Good so call. Your, your ability to get everyone to call it a negative open book is is determined only by the amount of power that you have over the community to man mandate it and maintain it as that and specifically as nothing else you would have got a huge kick out of um when we just went on this little skate tour with colin and his brother Stuart, who have been coming up with all of these uh these pivot movements and weird trick names and i learned just like the way that they call the tricks, I learned a whole bunch of new, weird, big wheel language from them. And uh, some of the names are amazing. Um, well, you're, you're, <clears throat> you're in a better position to get those out there because you guys have a podcast and you guys are, well, celebrities of a certain kind in rollerblading. <laughs> I don't know to what extent you're... <laughs> celebrity extends but you know people listen to y'all and so if you if you if you name something like some particular kind of swivel or some other kind of maneuver uh you know relevant to mushroom blading or what we've all come to call mushroom blading i mean that in itself is something that that exists now largely because of you guys probably totally because of you guys but but also because of the circulation that goes on within the culture of people referring to y'all's kinds of tricks as mushroom blading, as a genre, or as a style of either rollerblading or aggressive rollerblading or whatever. Yeah. I, I feel like that that term could easily fade or die off in favor of just um, freestyle, or which maybe doesn't really fit, or... Um, or big wheeling, like a lot of the tricks could be done just on a slalom setup. They're not really involved in, in grinds or anything. So I could see that evolving eventually and sounding less cartoony. It's, it's interesting um, to think about things that are, you know, further into the future. Um, my my dad my dad has been chewing my ass lately about smoking cigarettes, which I smoke a lot of. Um, 
And my wife and I are going to be trying to buy a house next year. And one of the things that my dad mentioned to me was that given my age and my wife's age, we will likely be made to buy what's called mortgage insurance because as smokers, we probably will not live out the lifetime of a 30-year mortgage. That is fucked up. Isn't it? What? So it's basically an insurance policy that if you if I die before I pay off my house that I'll buy, uh, the insurance will be liable to pay off the rest of my mortgage note. Uh, that's not what you have planned for yourself, is it? I don't know. That's what I'm saying. It's it's really strange to think about what the world is going to be like 30 years from now, and 30 years isn't even that far away. No, no. Um, I mean, that doesn't even get into a hundred years or a thousand years or anything else. I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of uh, Bad Religion, and there's a great Bad Religion song called Part Four: The Fossil Index, and, and uh, it references a idea in geology. Um, that deals with uh, individual uh, species of animals that we have a good sense of when they were alive. So when you find one in the rock, you can use that animal or that fossil as an index to tell you how old the rock is. Does that make sense? Yeah. So like the trilobites were around for many hundreds of thousands of years, maybe millions of years, maybe more, I don't know. Um, but they died off a very long time ago. And so anything that you find that's in the same area as a trilobite, you can bet, uh, was laid down at the same time. So you know that it has to be at least so-and-so many years old. And the Bad Religion song is about uh, humanity itself one day being an index fossil where we will have created so much shit that will get you know buried into the rock that the fossils that we'll leave behind 100 million years from now Will be enormously prevalent in the in the in the geological record, <clears throat> and in, in some ways, it's it's comforting to think that you know the things that we do in our lives and the things that we get mad about don't matter that much because you know one day it'll all be gone and we'll all be an index fossil. Wow! So maybe <laughs> maybe keep smoking then. Well, yeah, that's the thing is like, you know, if I, I, I've been joking a lot lately that, you know, I'm, I'm, I must be at the middle of my life. And so I, I ought to have a midlife crisis and buy myself a Miata. <laughs> that The thing is, I'm going to be really mad though when I'm 65 and dying and think, well, fuck, dude, I could have got 20 more years out of this fucking thing. Never know. Science could come up with some, some good stuff in that time, but don't bank on it. Well, I'm not banking on it, that's for sure. But I, I went camping last weekend with a couple of friends and my wife and my dog. And I was talking to – there was a big, giant camp out with, like, a bunch of people, similar to the Colorado road trip but without the rollerblading. And um, I was talking to my friend's dad, who used to be probably about as heavy of a smoker as I am now. Um, and he was saying, uh, if, you, if you can quit by the time you're 40, you know, you have a better shot at it. So I'm I'm still I'm still six years away from from that. So if I can quit in the next six years, then maybe there's hope. But my wife is thinking about quitting, so we'll What's see. The longest stretch that you've done uh, without 
a cigarette since I've started since I started smoking? Yeah. Probably probably about six months. That's pretty good. That's better than a lot yeah. of people. <clears throat> yeah. And when did you start? I started when I was nineteen. Um, we have if we haven't talked about this. Um, do you remember like the moment that you locked into it into smoking, where uh, the person or the thing that introduced you to it? Well, so so when I was in when I was in the eighth grade, uh, I got a friend of mine. There were some kids that I hung out with who I thought were cool who smoked cigarettes, and I would smoke cigarettes with them. And then I got one of them to get their older brother to buy me a carton of Camel cigarettes, and <clears throat> it took me pretty much the whole of eighth grade to smoke that carton, and it was really kind of you know rebellious and 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 very middle school back then. And then, and then uh, after that, I totally gave it up and thought it was stupid and, you know, everything else, and was w- very against it. Um, all the way through living in in Europe in high school, where many many people smoked everywhere. Um, people still smoke in, in Spain, for instance. People still smoke on the airplanes. I don't know if they do now, but they did in the late 1990s. <clears throat> um, and then. When I started smoking was the, the, the when I started smoking as an adult well let me say as an aside real quick. Normally if you make it to eighteen without being a smoker, you're usually in the clear. Um, and so it's unusual that I started smoking as late as I did because most people who smoke as much as I do started when they were a teenager. Yeah. Um, or you know like a like a fourteen year old or a twelve year old or a you know sixteen year old or something like that. Um, but I started smoking, I I was dating, I was dating a girl who smoked cigarettes and I would have one with her periodically, but I really didn't like it. Um, and I really didn't like that she was doing it. Um, but I, I went to Woodward and I, I took, I think, I think, I I think I took three packs of cigarettes with me and that was meant to be enough for like the whole time I was going to be there, which was meant to be three or four weeks or something like that. Um, and I wound up smoking them all in like the first couple of days. You know, my lungs were still really pink back then, I imagine. <laughs> and, um, you know, so it didn't affect me at all. It didn't affect my skating. It didn't affect my mood or my appetite or sleep or anything. Um, and... Everybody was asking me at Woodward that that week if 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 I'm smoking that much, am I a smoker or what the hell am I doing? And I said, no, 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 I'm just doing this because I miss my girlfriend. When I get back, I'll quit. And then and then coming back and buying that first pack when I'd got home from Woodward was probably when I knew that it already had got me. Wow. Um. And did anybody else smoke at Woodward? Like in terms of a social thing that you would stand with other people and smoke? Oh yeah, totally. There was um, you haven't ever been to Woodward, have you? No. Okay. Well, so <clears throat> there's a there's a long country road that you take to get to Woodward, and then when you when you finally get there, there's a turnoff and there's a sign that you would recognize if you saw it in real life, and you get this overwhelming sense of anticipation, and you turn off and you go down this gravel road, and there's a number of buildings in a parking lot that are right there when you first pull in. Uh, where they do registration and all this kind of stuff. And then from there, the camp just expands up this giant valley 
with all these skate parks and all these cabins and all these trails and all this awesome stuff. Um, but immediately to the right, when you first come in, uh, there's a hill that's covered with trees. And at the top of the hill, uh, they have a big bonfire. And I think on Friday nights, it may have changed, but I think it used to be on Friday nights, they would have the bonfire and they would do, you know, roasting marshmallows up there and all that kind of stuff. Um, but the whole rest of the time, you're allowed to smoke, or at least you were back in the day. You're allowed to smoke on the camp, but you're only allowed to smoke in a designated smoking area that's way up this hill, hidden behind all these trees, uh, where the kids can't ever see you smoking. Because that's that's the main thing that they don't want. It's not 1950, and you know the camp counselors aren't waking up and making coffee and smoking a cigarette right there in the cabin while the kids are sleeping in their beds. Um <laughs> So they were okay with it, at least in my day, if you would go up the hill hidden away from the children. Uh, and that was totally fine. So what you get as a result is um, all the smokers going up there at key break times, like first thing in the morning, during the break, during lunch, uh, and then after afternoon instruction is over. Um, and so there'd always be like a crew of guys who would like zip off in between their morning session and their afternoon session to suck down a couple of cigarettes real quick and then go teach their afternoon class. Um, and there was a great camaraderie with, with the smokers there, the skateboarders and the BMX guys and the rollerbladers who smoked would sit up there and have long talks and smoke cigarettes. And it was, it was really wonderful. It was one of the nicest parts about Woodward, in my opinion, just getting to sit there and have skateboarders and bikers interested in rollerblading and listen to my stories and listen to the things that I'm trying to get done this week while we're here, uh, and, and, and listen to their stories and see what, how they, how they look at Woodward because, you know, our, our 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 limitations and our ambitions on skates or a skateboard or a bike um, really shapes what what we think is awesome, and then the cultures drive that as well. So you know, you'll get you'll get you know, categorically, a lot of people will get there and they've never been to a big skate park and they've never been say to a vert ramp, and they say, by the end of the week, I want to be able to drop in on the vert, and that's common to everybody. But then when you start talking to the, the bike, the BMX guys, you know, you'll hear them saying about some wall ride that they want to do. And you'll think, fuck, I've, I never even thought about trying to wall ride that. I want to go try to wall ride that. That looks, that's totally dope. That's totally doable. And then you start talking to them about, you know, what, what, where, what route you have to have to get the speed to make that kind of a transfer. And you get this, you get this really wonderful um, camaraderie and sort of symbiosis where you're comparing strategies with what can you pump off of and where can you get the speed to do it and that kind of thing. And it's, it's, it's really wonderful. And it's really one of the things that Woodward was great about providing for people was that kind of uh, co-mingling or kind of cross-pollination of the, of the action sports. And it's unfortunate now that it's, it's, it's almost entirely gone from, from Woodward rollerblading. I mean, you know, what's amazing apart from the smoking, um, Kamloops wrote that into its city plan about why they're building another um, large skate facility here in town because of the cross Yeah. The cross pollination. Um, Cause we're the tournament capital of Canada. We have all the sports tournaments and they're all about um, having not like not supporting athletes, but having facilities here that are kind of world-class for people who well, want to do it. Yeah. And um, it just reminded me of that. Cause I, I kind of missed that. Um, I wasn't a smoker, but I know Mason, because he was a smoker, 
got to know some of the people a little bit better at the skate park. So that's interesting that that actually translated. People say that that's the thing they missed the most when they first uh, quit smoking. They feel like they're missing out on something. They just want to stand in the circle. I wonder what that is, if that's... um, if there's some tobacco hardwiring, well, that, that that's one of the things I think that when when hopefully I quit smoking one day, I'll still demand to take those breaks because I, I when I was in grad school, um, I had a I had a professor um, who was who was talking about it and he he was he wasn't like an awkward guy, um, but you could tell he spent a lot of time sort of by himself thinking. Uh, which is, you know, fairly common, I guess, in, in academics. But he was saying, you know, it's it, thank God that we have cell phones now because if you're standing with nothing to do and somebody walks by, you can get out your phone and look at it and people won't think that you're a fucking creep. And if you're standing there smoking a cigarette, you you know, you imagine like a university campus late at night with like a big open spaces and a, and a and lamp posts everywhere. Yeah. Where if you see a single guy standing in the light of a lamppost in, in in the dark, he said, "What the fuck? What the fuck is that guy doing? <laughs> you know, wh- wh- why is he out there? What? What? Like, I'm gonna go a different way because he's just waiting around to kill somebody. <laughs> but if you see that guy smoking a cigarette, you're like, oh, well, he's just working late. You know, he's he's probably got papers to grade or whatever, and you know, or maybe he's a student." And, and, you know, he's just out for a cigarette. You know, it's no big deal. And you don't feel threatened because you know that he's got something that he's there for. He's standing right there to smoke that cigarette. Oh, that's and so... And my professor was saying, thank God that we have smartphones now because if somebody sees me stand there, they're like, oh, that guy's looking at his phone, you know. But before the smartphone, you, you, you would just stand there looking like a creep even though you're just getting some fresh air outside of your building at midnight, you know, or whatever. Yeah. And so... so the other the other thing is like at at work, you know, when I say, look, I, I can't talk about this right now. I got to go outside and smoke a cigarette. I'll, I'll talk to you guys in, in ten minutes or five minutes, and and nobody objects to that. If you say if you say, you know, you guys are pissing me off, and I can't deal with any of you, so I'm going to go stand by myself for ten minutes, and then I'll come back, and everything will be fine. People won't accept it. Oh, we need that though. We, but we, if you're a smoker, people are like, oh, he's a smoker. Just fucking let him go. He'll be fine when he comes back. And you get a free pass. Yeah, you do. You get So when, you, I, when, I, when, when, when and if, hopefully when I quit, I'm still going to demand those. And I might even say I'm going out to smoke a cigarette and then just go out in the alley and stand there. <laughs> and, and then are you going to pull out your phone or no? What's your stance going to be if you don't have anything in your hands? I'll just stand there looking like somebody who's going to fuck you up, dude, because I won't be able to have a cigarette. <laughs> People will see me and be like, oh, God, don't go that way. That guy looks like a creep. they be like, yeah, I haven't had a cigarette in 10 years. <laughs> That's the, the part that I've heard is that um, even if you've quit for a long time, that it just never goes away. I've heard that. Yeah. That sounds not fun at all and it's just so easy to make that one choice even if you haven't smoked for five years yeah well uh, that, one of the things that i've heard from from people who are much much older than me is is even if you fuck up just get right back on the horse just get back on like you fucked up you hadn't had a cigarette in 10 years had one doesn't mean you buy a pack just just don't don't buy don't buy a pack tomorrow even if you smoke a whole pack in one night just don't buy one tomorrow stay quit have your fuck up 
but stay quit. And I think that that's one of the problems that a lot of people have had, where you think, well, well, whatever, the, uh, the, you know, the dam is broken, I might as well start smoking again. And people get back on the habit of smoking. I think it's the ritual of it that I would get hooked on, that idea of the break and the, and the social aspect of it. Um, and then also, I completely understand why um, creative types, breakfast of champions, just coffee and cigarettes for creativity. Oh, I, yeah. I totally get it. Nicotine and caffeine together are incredible. Yeah. They're fantastic. You could you could just have that on an empty stomach for an extended period of time and go down a go down a hole of a whirlwind of ideas. Mm-hmm. So I get that too. I just wish there was a better way of I like nicotine gum I would do once in a while for editing. Um yeah. but it still had a a gross aftermath feeling. Yeah. Um, and then I'll take a puff. My my wife smokes once in a while when she drinks. I'll have okay. a puff once in a while, and I get really chatty. Yeah. I don't know. Um, that's good though. I, skating though and nicotine. Did that any uh, benefits? Hmm. Well, I don't want to shill for the tobacco industry in any way. <laughs> um. So that's a yes. Well. I mean, the the social the social aspect of smoking really permeates in in rollerblading culture. Um, like a, a couple of months ago, me and um, Smiley and Jared and a couple of other guys uh, went to the mini ramp on the on the Thursday night rollerblade that we have here in Denver, <clears throat> and decided at the beginning that we were going to do thirty tricks each on the mini ramp, and we couldn't have a cigarette until we'd done all thirty of the tricks. <laughs> and it was, it was excruciating for me because it was taking me a lot longer than I'd wanted to, and I really wanted to have a cigarette. And I may have actually cheated and just gone off and had a cigarette. <laughs> but one of the things that's nice about it is that it's it's you you don't. I mean, some people will light a cigarette and they'll go you know skate the ledge or something with a you know lit cigarette hanging in their mouth. But one of the things that I like about it is that it, it's it's like a forced time to sit there and talk or sit there and reflect without anything else going on because you're not gonna you know skate the vert ramp with a cigarette in your mouth you know you could do a rail or you could do a ledge or something like that but you know it's it it's 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 good to me for the reflective times and that's that's why i like it as a as a writer because it's it's a time where you can more or less forcefully exclude everyone without being impolite Oh, that's a great way of putting it. Because, because it's it's more or less, it's more or less socially acceptable that if you're going out to smoke, you should be left alone, or you can go out there and hang out if you're going to smoke. Also, I've done that at parties without smoking. I just I leave for extended periods of time, and no one knows where I go, and then I come back. I'll just go for a walk and then come back. So I'm surprised I haven't uh, picked that habit up. Although, yeah, I don't think I tried smoking until 19 or 20. Whereas I think mm-hmm. my wife tried it when she was 16 and her dad was like two packs a day, uh, rodeo guy. So, Oh yeah. He quit though. He quit. Um, which is awesome. But I think, yeah, I've, got good, I've, I've had good role models. I mean, I've had people, um, you know, who quit really late in life and said, you know, it was the best thing I ever did. It sucks, but it's still the best thing I've ever done. Um, 
I'm Gee. also also one of my one of my favorite professors from uh, my my time as an undergrad um, died way prematurely from smoking. Really? Yeah. So there's there's that sort of you, you get the good redemptive stories of old people who say I quit smoking at seventy and now I'm ninety and it saved my life. And then you know, contrary wise, you get the other story that says that yeah, guy who was fucking forty nine fucking died. For no good reason, even though he was one of the most beloved people on campus. And How? the saddest thing was that he, one of the last things that he said to somebody was he wasn't ready to die. He wasn't ready to go. He he, he wanted to live more. Yeah, four, it, 49 would be frustrating. It's gut-wrenching when you actually know a guy. It's not like, you know, you saw this on the news or you heard about a guy who heard about a guy. It's like, this is one of my role models in life. Yeah, there's a, I heard that actually from 50 onwards is amazing because whatever tiny little bit of fuck that you might give is just gone at that point. And you just have a friend of mine, a friend of mine just had a birthday like a week or so ago and he posted on Facebook because I guess he'd been to the gym that day. At what age does it become appropriate for a man to just quit giving a fuck at the gym and take a shower and just walk around the locker room butt ass naked? (laughs) I think, uh, hmm. Mid to late forties, like yeah, late forties or fifties. You yeah, just like, you know what? Fuck it. <laughs> like you carry your towel over your shoulder, you know, and your hairy ass, hairy fat ass, just hanging all over the place. <laughs> and those dudes don't give a fuck. I don't know if you ever had a, like a YMCA membership or anything like that, but man, if you get if you if you go to a gym or a or a YMCA or something, man, those dudes will, will just walk around. Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't flap it in the breeze. <laughs> Yeah, because you probably you'd you'd be in a new place where um you'd be like the meat wagon's not that important at this point as long as it works. At, well, you know. But yeah, who knows if it'll even if it'll even work? Although another friend of mine who's a professor from Germany, um, had been a smoker for a really long time, and and actually um, commented to me that he was a bigger man. Uh, he has become a bigger man, as it were. Uh, after having quit smoking. What, really? Yeah. A bigger man. Meaning he's got a bigger dick than he did the whole time. Holy shit. Oh, I didn't ca- I didn't pick up on that right away. No well, I was way. trying to be subtle. And he was trying to be subtle. I get it now. I get it. I think the... I think the... Um, the mental struggle will be the worst like i i imagine maybe getting clarity in the long run but you brought there's probably so many benefits to uh nicotine at this point still for you well i I think that the the catch is that um you start like the thing the reasons that you smoke you know because you're stressed out because you're tired because you're awake because of x y and z uh, you stop having those problems when you quit smoking. So the things that would stress me out and make me want to smoke a cigarette won't stress me out when I'm not a smoker. And the health benefits people have reported to me are, are fairly immediate, that you start noticing that you don't huff and puff quite as much when you walk up a staircase. You know, it's easier to go running. It's so, I, I think it has, to, it has to coincide with a fitness campaign because, you know, you, you have to, or at least for me, you know, I would I would have to want to be feeling the positive benefits very very soon. <laughs> <laughs> and and the lungs do heal. 
Um, yeah. Even in older age, they do heal? Yeah. Uh, my German professor from college that I was talking about, the guy who died prematurely, um, before he was diagnosed with cancer, and he had uh, he had like a, a really weird throat and nose cancer, like inside of his nose. Yeah. Um, and in his throat. Um, <clears throat> and about 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 ten years before he was diagnosed, because he was diagnosed and then he was curtains like quick, like six months. Um. But he was talking to his. He was telling us in class one day that he was talking to his doctor that morning, and his doctor said it doesn't matter. It's never too late. You'll always be better off if you quit. Really? Yeah. Because I've heard yeah. that. I didn't know if that was just more if of a... 80, if you're 80 and about to die and you quit smoking, you could add a couple of years onto your life or a couple of months, whatever it is. That but is... When you're right there with your back against the wall and death is coming in, you know, three more months might sound like a pretty fucking sweet deal. There's so much you can get done in that in that time. Mm-hmm. Um... Especially yeah, if you're, you had three months and that was it. You would oh. get a lot done. Oh or yeah. Not. Maybe we just sink into a depression and you know barely get off the couch. I I can barely do that. The sink into the couch now because there's too many exciting things to be doing with free time. But that's probably the best thing somebody can say about their life. That <laughs> that you feel that way and you're in a position to do something about it. That's that's probably a better life than most of the human beings who've ever lived ever. We're like, well, we're we're living <laughs> like like uh, gods and kings with with um, everything we have at our fingertips. Um, Absolutely. And uh, I can't I can't burn a day like well, I I haven't seen many of the TV shows that people talk about, and I'm a big fan of movies, but I still I have a tough time sitting down for you know, two or three hours and yeah. watching a movie now. Cause I, there's other exciting stuff happening. And I obviously be aware of them though, because of, you know, Facebook and other internet related things where you get passively the coverage. Like even if you didn't watch game of Thrones, it's still so, so prevalent that you're going to encounter it and at least know that it's a show. Yeah. I know. Um, I know that all that stuff shows on. are so obscure that you're like, I, I you know, or bands or whatever. And you have no idea about them. No, I know. I usually know the the good shows and and the Office. I mean, it's not the water cooler, but at least in the hallways, I know that Walking Dead and Game of Thrones are the two huge shows. Um, yeah. You know what? It, our first podcast. Remember, I asked you. I'm like, did you have tricks in T Bone TV Five? Do you remember when I asked you that? I I don't. I'm sorry. Because um, there was. It was the Chris Edwards birth tour, and um, there was a Texas skate park section. Um, and oh, I was okay. getting you mixed up with a guy named John Farmer, I think. Wow, really? Not not in terms of like something in my mind mixed that up. Someone did a backslide with like a foam hand in that video, and I and like a 540 transfer. Um, what, is, what is a foam hand? It's like a like a sport. You're at a sporting event, and it's a hand. Oh, foam oh, and big. Oh, okay, like an, okay, okay, okay. Sorry, I have that thing where I, I see the visual and I don't give enough um, verbal no, I just, information. I didn't know if that was an expression, you know, from from Canada that I don't know about. Oh, 
<laughs> no, no, he was balanced so well that he was holding up the foam hand with his uh, non-grabbed hand. But anyways, then I think it was either on Jan's, must have been on Jan's Vimeo, um, one of his first videos, uh, not Urban Decay. Was there one before that? There were several before that. Oh, Urban Decay was the Europe one. Anyways, I was watching one of those and it was like, ah, John Farmer, that's who it was. So, oh, what okay. the that's hell? interesting. What I happened? looked up to him for a long time. He's still around. He doesn't rollerblade. He came to a, he came to a Houston comp that we had a couple of years ago, um, and I'd looked up to him my whole life. Lonnie and some other people have a lot of uh, personal beef with him, um, which we don't necessarily need to get into. We, we could, no, but we don't have to. No, um, but I, I he was a really really talented rollerblader. I mean, really talented. He. He actually rode for a company, and this is this is getting way back into the annals of history. But uh, he rode for a company called Eurofunk. Holy shit! Jeans. He was a sponsored rollerblader on the Eurofunk rollerblading team. So was in, Dave Jarvis in Canada. Yeah, and like in 1995 and 1996, and he was doing tricks back then that were unthinkable by the day's standards. He was doing alley fish brand down rails. Soy owls down really, really gnarly kinked rails, big unities on big crazy ledges, um, backslides, misfits down things in like 96. I mean, that was real, real early for that kind of a trick. I mean, yeah. a lot of people were just hearing about the kind grind when, when he was doing misfits down, you know, legit rails, you know, 20 stair rails. Yeah, I remember him being uh, very impressive in... Really oh, talented. Street, really early, too. Urban Decay, Street Something. It had Street in the title. The Yawn video. And uh, he was really street, good. Rick, street Dwellers, I think. No, that was B-Bell. Um, oh, you're right. I take it all back. You're totally right. Uh, shit, I can't remember. And he was a Razor skater, too, wasn't he? John Farmer? Yeah. No, no. He wasn't? He skated. He, no, he wore K2 fatties, like the original gray ones. No way. He was, he was, I think he was, he was like, he was out of rollerblading by the time the fifth element came in. That's so fucked up. I think that the last, the last pair of skates that he probably had in that epoch was probably Oxygens. The I low? I think it was Low cut, no, no, the high cut? Argon 1.1s. I'm starting to warm up to that skate more now that I'm... My, my roommate, Jared, uh, just got a brand new pair off of the Blader Trader thing. Brand new pair of the blue low-cuff ones. <laughs> did you try them on? He did. Yo, I, no, they don't fit me. They're too small. <laughs> uh, he did True Kind Grind the other day in those things. What was the speed like on the slide? Uh, it, well, we were just skating our box. Yeah. So the speed was fine. This is a new box. Uh, we made one for Denver, yeah, and we've been trying. We haven't been quite as consistent in here in Denver with having them every Sunday, um, but, but probably at least two or three times a month we take it out. We miss a week. We miss at least one week a month for whatever reason. We've had a lot of rain. I was saying that at the beginning of the podcast. Yeah, uh, we've had a lot of rain, and so if it rains, we're just like, ah, eh, fuck it. We'll just watch TV. <laughs> we've had the opposite here so and our winter was the most skating i've ever done so that's, been quite that's lucky awesome. 
quite lucky. Um, on the last podcast, had you written the first part of uh, of the BMEG article? Well, now that's no, that's you hadn't. An odd, that's, that's an odd question. I probably hadn't published it, but the first one that was kind of the preface to the whole thing um, was called "For Your Consideration." Uh, what was it called? Language death, whales, and rollerblading. I think, I think we did talk about that, possibly. I, <clears throat> I wrote that in like 2010 uh, and didn't do anything with it. And then I was trying to write this series that I'm doing now for one mag when I was writing for them. And for various reasons, I just never got it done. And then when I moved over to BMAG, um, it just more and more started sounding like the right time to do it. And I got back in touch with a lot of the people who I had been in touch with to do the the research the first time around in 2011, I guess. Yeah. Um, and and I kind of just sort of got off to the races in it, but it was really the 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 Welsh the Wales article that drove the concept for the whole article because, um, and I and, and this is this is covered in the article, but the short version of the first one is that there's a very well-renowned uh, prestigious linguist who happens to be from Wales, uh, who happens to be a professor emeritus at the school that I was in grad school at. <clears throat> and the guy the guy is incredibly prolific. He's written over 100 books. Uh, he's very well-respected, very smart, very uh, incredible guy. And he's been doing work on language death and the magic number that he's come up with is 100,000. If you have a language and it's spoken by 100,000 or fewer people and and at the same time more of the 100,000 speakers are old, like 60 or older, um, if, if they break past the 51% you know, threshold... And you have fewer than a hundred thousand. Uh, he predicts that that language will be gone completely within three generations, and he's got hundreds of languages documented that that fit that criteria. Yeah, that's right. And then you went into how Welsh survived. Yeah, the Welsh the Welsh are um, are are really the the the, the idealized model for how uh, a culture and a language can. Uh, bring itself back to life from the brink of death. Um, and so all kinds of people from around the world are 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 traveling, like uh, <clears throat> um, governments and community organizations and government organizations and non-government organizations are sending people specifically to Wales to find out how they did it so that they can bring those strategies back to their own country or their own language group um, to try to keep their languages alive. A mind-blowing fact, for instance, is that in the world right now, there are 6,000 different languages being spoken, and the, the linguistic community who is looking into it predicts that half of them will be gone by the end of the 21st century. Wow. So that's a bunch at the 100,000 or under mark. 
or close there, to. Yeah, yeah. Now, it, there, there's there's a couple of caveats that go along with that, including the fact that most languages only have a few thousand speakers, um, and they are <clears throat> very. Um, uh, they live in very remote places, like in in jungles, uh, or they're you know Aboriginal groups that have very distinct languages from the other Aboriginal groups who live uh, nearby them. Um, there, I, I I can't produce off the top of my head the numbers, but uh, there's I think I think half of the languages are spoken by fewer than a hundred thousand. Um, which means that you know ten thousand, like ten thousand or no, one thousand languages are spoken by fewer than ten thousand people, and it just kind of dwindles down from there. I don't know if those numbers made any sense, but uh, you you can you can imagine there are many many languages with very few speakers. And as you get into languages like English that have two billion speakers, um, you know, that's only one language for two billion people. So when you get down to one of these really remote languages, you may have 50 people who speak the language. There's a lot of places, too, that are remote in Finland or northern Russia uh, or northern China even where there are – I think there's something like 100, 100 languages with only a single speaker left right now. That that's so wild to think about, and then just gone forever. Who are the last? They have nobody to talk to. There's no one they can talk to. Does anybody you do know, things the like guy, the last guy? The last other guy in the village died, so that you moved into town, and you can't talk to anybody because you're 80 years old and you only speak you know one language that nobody else understands. <laughs> oh my god! Can you imagine? Are there people recording even um, audio? Of some of this, or like, um, yeah, this, this guy, this guy, David Crystal, he's he's um, there's he and a, a lot of other linguists and anthropologists are out, um, trying to document every possible thing that they can before they go away because the the value of these of these differences in language, uh, is 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 a safeguard for conclusions about the study of uh, human language, human cognition culture, society, all these kinds of things. We only know the things that we know about those topics by comparing them to other things. If you if you were an alien and you came to the world and went to Kamloops to study humanity and you you generalized that all of humanity must live just like y'all do in in Kamloops, you would be very very wrong about what the human experience is all about because you're only getting a tiny cross section. So similarly, if you look at a language like English and draw all your conclusions about language from just English, all you need to do is look to Spanish to see hundreds or thousands of differences that are really, really significant. I hope they don't come here and make a generalization. It wouldn't be good for the rest of the planet. It's nice here, but too many people, uh, too many people in vehicles, uh, lots of box stores. Um, right. Yeah, and then you know if they go straight to Walmart, then we're in a lot of trouble. Yeah, just in terms of uh, they would think there was a lot of obesity, and they started doing IQ tests, and 
Well, but at the same time, though, they would think that we're all we're all living like kings, like you said twenty minutes ago. That's true. They'd be like, you could just you buy whatever you want. You everything you from you fucking go to work if you want to, you know, if you feel <laughs> like it that day. That's pretty fucking sweet. These guys got it carved up pretty good. <laughs> there was this park that we skated um, on the on the trip recently, and it and it looks like a already looks kind of post apocalyptic in terms of the cracks all over the cement and that it's not used and there's weeds growing out of everywhere. And I, I love the idea of, um, you know, maybe if, if humans were gone and a long, a long, long time happened and something, either a new species came or who knows, they started studying what humans were. Philip J. Fry wakes up from the, from the cryo freeze, starts walking around. (laughs) Is that from idiocracy? No. No, it's from. Oh, Fry, Fry, that's right. Um, skate parks, at least, they would stay together somewhat in terms of the structure. Uh, if people didn't know what they were, I don't know. I just, I love the idea of skate parks sticking around for a long period of time, even if they're somewhat broken. Um, mm-hmm. They're going to be all over the world. Yeah. Someone might have to figure out what the hell that was for. Well, it's it's great to think to have that as a kind of a mental exercise when we when we think about how we analyze the past, you know, it, it's it's similar to the, you know, the, um, you know, in the Little Mermaid where she finds the fork and she thinks it's for combing her hair, <laughs> and it's a, it's a it's a perfectly reasonable thing to think, and there's no reason to think that it wouldn't be that way, and so there's there's all kinds of things that we've got to be wrong about as far as assessing. You know the, the 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 historical or fossil record. Because I mean, they're just now coming out saying that all the dinosaurs had feathers because they found they found fossils of the dinosaur bones where they have these little uh, they're kind of like pores that that the the feathers actually grow out of through the bone. And so if you find a bone, you'll never find the feathers, but you'll find the bone that has the little dimples, sort of like pores on your skin. Yeah. That the feathers actually grow out of. Um. And they're convinced, or at least things that I've seen are, are saying that, you know, everything probably had some amount of feathers. Why would they need those? Um, if they didn't, like, we're talking the ones on the ground, too, that couldn't fly? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they weren't for flight. I mean, look at a peacock. A peacock has crazy fucking feathers. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, like, they can kind of fly. I mean, they can't, not like Canada geese that can fly all the way to Texas from your house. <laughs> <clears throat> for a peacock i guess it's just all about looking good well there's a neat part in um that that um what's his name david uh david attenborough did that series called planet earth and they had those crazy fucking birds of paradise that just have the most bizarre plumage you've ever seen in your life i mean, crazy crazy do you know the birds i'm talking about yeah they do a big display like a peacock yeah, yeah, and then you see the females, and it's like this brown, fucking nondescript little fucking bird, and you're like, "Bitch, you know, I'm, I'm out here working. I'm out here working for it, you know." And and the, the reason the reason is because the the females get really selective, um, and so the ones that survive uh, are the ones who have the most elaborate display, and, and if your display ain't elaborate enough, then you don't breed, because you know, homegirl never puts out. Um, and, and so those genes that were only halfway to, you know, extraordinary, 
just don't cut it. And so those, those genes die off. And the crazier and crazier birds, you know, get all the action. And so it just drives the, the, the species to, to being crazier and crazier looking to where you've got these things that are just unearthly. Um, have you ever painted your skates uh, a crazy color to attract a mate? I don't think I've ever done anything on rollerblades to attract a mate. <laughs> Did you have a a shirt that your before your wife was your wife that she really loved that <clears throat> helped um, helped attracted helped the attraction? You know, I don't know why she likes me. I have no idea. Maybe I should ask her. <laughs> <laughs> seriously though have you had some colored skates regardless of attracting a mate um, you know, my 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 first pair of real aggressive skates because i had i had um i had like you know crappy skates and then i had hockey skates um and then i had a pair of bauer f3s that were plastic boot, which was a big departure from hockey skates at that point. Um, but they still weren't made for, you know, aggressive skating. And, and, and then I got tarmacs. And tarmacs aren't really made for aggressive skating either, but they were at least marketed that way. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> and the, the first pair of tarmacs that I ever had, I think I pretty well covered with stickers because that was popular in like 1994. Yeah, I did that too. But I don't think I ever painted my skates. I think that I, I just put stickers on them. What about getting like a pair of skates that um, <clears throat> you just you had to change some things because color wise it wasn't working out for you? Like did you did you do the blue razors? No. Oh 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 yeah the 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 flats. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I had those. I don't think I ever colored them. I might have painted them black at the very tail end, but. I don't. I don't remember doing that. Yeah, you don't strike me like as a colored skate person. Um, like you wouldn't get excited. Well, I, but... I, wrote, I wrote for Razors at the time, and I was really excited when that skate came out. And then I was just, I was just thrilled beyond all recognition when the Super Flat came out because it was black. And then the Super Flat Two. I think the Leovan. I'd, I'd have to. I'd have to check, but. The, when the super flat came out, that was that was like that was like hogs heaven because I've always just wanted plain black skates. It was all black. I thought it not black and gray. Flat, oh, and flat black. I'm pretty sure the, the super flat was all or the the flat was or no the super flat. Yeah, I think the super flat was all black. Remember the first ones that that um was like the Marco Hintze ads and it had the the metal grind plate that went all the way across. And they hadn't built the backslide plate in, and it looked a little sketchy. Oh no, those were no, no, no. Your your uh, your your uh, chronology is off. Those things came out way after. They did. Yeah. What the hell were those things? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. There's 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 two skates that you could be talking about. I'm the talking about one... the first Razor's ads that came out before they came out with the flat and the super flat. But it was a blue skate. It was the blue. No, it was like a black skate with a power oh, strap. Okay. okay uh, the okay. sole system looked weird. There was a metal grind yeah. plate that went all the way across. They still had an H block. Right, but that was okay. So that's that's even further back in time. That was before the Impact series, and they had the Impact 100, 200, and 300, and then the flat came out after the Impact 300. So that skate that you're talking about 
was four skates before this, the, the the blue flat. Holy shit! So, where? What year am I in then with that one? Uh, ninety-six. Wow. He may have he, Andy may have been making that thing earlier than that. Um, I think that he because uh, all that shit was just bolted on. As far as I know, I never actually had a pair of those things. Yeah, it would have been whatever the open mold was. Yeah, but he was he, I don't know what what kind of distribution he had, but I don't I don't somebody can weigh in on this if they happen to know, but I don't think that those things were ever carried by like Team Paradise or and maybe they were carried by Team Paradise, but they certainly didn't have them in my shop in Austin. At no. No. I, I think, think the distribution was probably really shaky because it was such a fledgling company at that point. It wasn't until um, I think there was a lot of boom and bust uh, aggressive skates that sort of flopped onto the market. You still see them. There's like there's a couple of dozen stray brands that have nothing to do with rollerblading but made rollerblades. That is still weird to me. There's like an Airwalk skate. There's yeah, uh, Airwalk. Um, you know, there's a guy. There's a guy I just met a couple of months ago in in Colorado here. And he is absolutely nothing like you would imagine a rollerblader to be. And he loves rollerblading. He thinks it's the coolest shit of all time. He knows nothing about the culture. And he has a pair of those Airwalk skates with the worst wheels you've ever seen in your life. Like, people have better, like, grindstones in their skates with, with no bearing than what this kid had. And it, it, I, want, I, I'm, I would like to, at some point, I'm, I'm a, several articles behind now, but... Which I think is probably something that I say every time I talk to you guys. I think I'm it's several just, behind. I think that's just a classic creative mind talking yeah, out loud. I, I've got I've got like five articles, including one of a feature I want to write about AJ coming up. And but I want to do an interview with this kid and then write a write an article about him because. You know, when as as rollerbladers, we tend to meet other dudes who are a lot like us. You know, there's difference in class, in race, in ability, in lots of different categories. But even even spanning those, if you're a rollerblader, there's still some kernel of of similarity that we all have in common. And this guy doesn't even have that. Like this guy is a military guy. He owns horses. Like there's nothing about this guy that would ever say to you rollerblader. I think that, that's a good thing. And I'd like to talk to him just like, why do you think this is cool? What, what about this do you think is cool? What's your favorite thing to do? What do you think this is called? Why do you think that? What, what, like, like, try, explain yourself. Explain, you know, <laughs> what, where the fuck did you come from, man? Uh, and I think not that there's going to be 20 years of rollerblading. I've never fucking seen a dude like this guy ever. Not in 90, not in 95, not before that. Not now, not not ever. There may be more of those guys than we think. Not a lot, but maybe a couple hundred of those guys around yeah, the world. I, I think that that's true. I think that there's probably quite a few stray dudes out there who are just so far out of the fold, but just on their own, like rollerblading and have a pair of rollerblades. But he'd never been to a session, and he'd only just discovered the Facebook group, and he's been living here for two years. So he's managed to go to skate parks with his little airwalk skates and not encounter another rollerblader in two years. That's also, also he's a bonehead for not like finding it on Facebook. Cause it's like, you know, 
you can you can you can find it on Facebook. It's not. I don't know. Hey, search terms. We've talked about this before. It's like, what do you look up? What What do you look up? How How the hell do you find aggressive mall or or shop task? Um, you, you, like trick roller blades or, you know. I don't know. I I I know I know that it's not on the first page of Google every time, but <laughs> so know, if, if if you're a kid and you move to a town and you're 20 years old and you can't find a rollerblader, like come on, man. So Colorado rollerblading on uh, Facebook. Well, on on Facebook, it's called Colorado Thursday Night Roll, which I admit is a little bit more obscure, but. If you weren't friends, if you weren't already in the group and you searched for it, Colorado rollerblading, I bet it would come up. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, because it it would also. Uh, I think you can just do general searches on, like a search function in Facebook is for full on like posts and status updates. It'll get the yeah. keywords. So you're right. You're right. I think the right amount of a mix of keywords. But I don't. No one really knows aggressive inline skating. You would have loved this, actually. Um, this guy came up to us in, um, I think it was a Suisse or Oliver Park, the the wine country of British Columbia we were in, and it's this famous area where all these uh, people come from Quebec to pick fruit, um, yeah. like squeegee punk types and and hippie types, and this kind of older skateboarder came up to us and saw our skates and he was like, what are those things? Cause it was all, you know, the big wheels and, and wizard frames. Yeah. And he was like, what is this? What is this called? And we're like, well, it's just called rollerblading. Um, these are big wheels though. Kind of like what we call them. He's like, so are you guys aggressive inline skaters? And, and we were like, well, we were, Oh wow. But this is kind of different. And then it was this weird <laughs> having to, explain it for the first time out loud and i just i didn't actually have the language to you know, go well, did you did you happen to get a print copy of the bmag that just came out a couple of months ago no because the article that i wrote in there mentions you guys and i talked to you about it either on a podcast or online is it the one with all the different uh like the font on the front like the different yes, text yes and that's that's the my my article is the many names of rollerblading i'm actually on the cover of bmag dog oh shit it's not a picture of me. It's not a picture of my face. But, but you're on the cover. But it's me on the cover. <laughs> yeah, I really like that cover. No, um, I'll have to get that. I, I always can I can I can I really quickly give the Cliff's notes of that? Yeah, let's that do article? it. Yeah. So the the Cliff's notes or the, the 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 TLDR version or the I don't have a skate shop and I don't have access to a print magazine version is. Um, in the very beginning of aggressive rollerblading, the main thing was to differentiate ourselves from the other kinds of rollerblading. And the biggest thing that Senate and all those other guys were banging the drum about was, you know, not being marked as fags and not being marked as spandex recreational skaters. Um, you know, so all the history of rollerblading between then and now has come full circle to the skinny jeans and whatever else. Um but the, the part of the problem is that we've never had a coherent name and we've probably had too many names. You know, we're, we're skateboarding, you know, there's skateboarding, there's longboarding and that's pretty much it. And if you say you skateboard, it's pretty much unmistakable that you do tricks on the skateboard of some kind. And whether you do, whether you're Danny Way 
on a mega ramp or whether you're one of the other guys who does techie, you know, ticky tacky parking lots, you know, size stuff. Everybody knows that you do tricks. But on rollerblades, it's not clear that if you say you rollerblade that you do tricks of some kind from mushroom blading to the stuff that Haffy does or whatever else. Um, but the strange phenomenon that's going on right now is happening in the world of the, the very narrow, very small population of female rollerbladers. Uh, if, they, if they say to anyone that they skate or they rollerblade, they are asked if they do roller derby. Because roller derby has been on the make for the last 15 or so years. And there's now a huge population of women and men who do roller derby. Um, and so now the women are having to go back to the place that we were in 1995. Where we're saying, no, we don't wear the spandex little jog bras and, and you know fishnet pantyhose and skate in a circle. We're fucking rollerbladers. And the fact is there's no name that you can call rollerblading and have it make sense to anybody. So if you want someone to understand what you do, you're just going to have to fucking explain it to them. <laughs> and I thought you would have loved that this guy was so old that he fucking knew the name aggressive inline skating, which I hadn't heard anybody apart from a rollerblader say out loud in a long time. Yeah. Well, um, no, it's, it's easy to, it's easy to, you know, forget that it was a huge it was a huge um thing on tv for for a good couple of years there even though it might have been marked as a fad uh by the general population um you know oh shit oh shit spilled your beer i did on your computer no it's not on my computer it's funny i've actually got a clamp on the umbrella and the wind blew and it moved the clamp and knocked the beer over that way do you have an extra one, beer? Uh, I, uh, there's there's still beer in there. Okay. I can, I think I can just move down a little bit on the picnic table. Be all right. Um, and and at the end of this conversation, the guy kind of like misheard what I said, and he's like, "So there, <laughs> you would have loved this." He called them mountain blades because he was relating them to mountain bikes having bigger tires. Okay. So he thought that that we were like the mountain biking version of rollerblading. Even though we weren't at a mountain, we were at a skate park. And everything that I tried to explain, he he landed on mountain blading. But he was also, he could have been really high. Because um, the reason he came over to the park is he saw a cop was walking through the park and kind of started talking to us to uh, take attention off of himself. So that's well, good. Th- you know, what's interesting about that to me um, goes back to uh, cognitive psychology in the 1970s, where they developed a thing called schema theory. And a schema is basically a, a plan that you have uh, for anything that you know about. And anything that you don't know about, you can only understand through things that you do understand. If that makes sense, yeah. So it's it's literally in terms of something else. People misuse uh, the the expression "in terms of" all the time, and if you let it get to you, it it, it will become like a, a knife in your ear. <laughs> people, people will say, 
tell me about your day, you know, in terms of how it went. And the terms of how my day went and the terms of my day aren't different sets of terms. So it's really a nonsensical thing to say. But if you said, tell me, tell me um, a skateboarding trick in terms of rollerblading, there are separate terms for those domains. Right? So when... When I could ride a skateboard well, I would do what I would imagine as back torque to true fish to forward on a skateboard. And I don't even know. And, and so I can tell you that in terms of rollerblading. And I actually can't tell you what the terms are of skateboarding. I wouldn't be able to either. No. But I know I know what you're saying. The 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 true fish winds up being a frontside blunt slide, I think. But I don't know what they call a torque, where it's like, you go up backwards and then you grind on the on the tail and the truck. Forward, it's called a five zero, but I don't know what it's called backwards. Or anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah. The point is, the domains have different sets of terms. Yeah. And. When you say explain me one thing in terms of something else, it makes sense when the two things have, you know, different sets of terms. Uh, with with schema theory, it has to do with the concepts that you understand, and then if you want to understand a new concept, uh, you have to, you are obliged or forced to understand that in terms that you in not in terms of in concepts that you already understand. So, for instance, um, when you get um, a theory of gravity like Newton had, you tend to imagine the world as being a bunch of billiard balls on something like a trampoline surface. Uh, and you can imagine what would happen on a, on a trampoline or on a, on a pool table when two billiard balls you know, collide, they bounce off in a, in a known way, um, depending on which way the balls are spinning. Uh, you know, if you put what some people call English on the shot, you know, where you spin the ball into it while you hit it. Um, and, and if that's your only scheme for, for dynamic motion and someone tries to explain quantum mechanics to you where, you know, electrons can, can exist or not, or they can go in a certain direction or not, but you can't know everything at the same time. You don't have a scheme to understand that. So when they, talk about Higgs bosons or other micro, micro, nanoscopic particles, you don't have a scheme for them, so you can't understand it. Same thing is true when you hear about numbers like how far away Pluto is. You know, the, the um, NASA just sent a space shuttle out um, a couple, 10 years ago that's just today uh, gone around Pluto and taken a lot of pictures of it. Um but when someone tells you that it's so many billion miles away, that doesn't make any sense. Because you're like, well, I don't know how fucking far that is. The, you know, it's, it's six blocks from here to the 7-Eleven. You know, six billion miles? That doesn't mean anything. So on the radio today, they were, they were explaining, they were trying to put it in terms of things that people could understand. Like it's, if you listen to the Harry Potter series read out loud, that's something like 120 hours and if you were driving there in your car, you would need to listen to the whole Harry Potter series like a hundred 
thousand times or a hundred million times or something like that. And that's still no good because you still don't have a scheme for what does a hundred thousand of something look like. Same thing with, you know, how many people were killed in the Holocaust or how many grains of sand are on a beach. Like you just don't have the scale to understand numbers that are that big. And the point is, it's, it's, it's because the schemes that we have are based on human scale that you can't understand something like that. So to come back to your guy at the skate park, if you don't have a scheme for a kind of rollerblade, a kind of aggressive rollerblading that's not aggressive rollerblading and they have big wheels, the only scheme that he can come up with that matches most of the data points is going to be mountain blades. <laughs> Because he, his brain is literally forcing him to do it that way because he can't, he can't line up all the data points and have them match with a coherent theory of reality with something other than that. Because if it's aggressive inline skating, but it's not aggressive inline skating, but it's, and it's different because you have these big wheels and you're still doing tricks, but you're not doing aggressive inline tricks then it must be like BMX to mountain bike where it's similar but different because the wheel sizes are different. And it, it makes a great deal of sense. And you could see how he would just put that together in, in, a, in a tiny amount of time. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. <clears throat> Definitely. And so that's, that's schema theory from, from cognitive psychology in the 1970s roaring its way back into your life. <laughs> I, I don't think that name's going to stick for me personally, uh, mountain blading, but I might use it from time to time. Just, just for fun. They tried to do real mountain blading back in the day. Yeah. Um, we didn't get to. Uh, we got sidetracked on the we the first everything. The the first article with the Welsh. Yeah. Um, so that was the precursor to the three three part series, correct? Yeah, and I uh, part four is still. Uh, on the horizon, I need to I need to write one other article before that and get it out, and then I can do part four. Hopefully and within the next hopefully within the next week or two. Maybe this weekend I can get the one out of the way, and then next weekend I can get the part four written. And now, is it too much to give the number or or the estimate? No, no, okay, no, not at all. Because so, I'm sure a lot of people don't know. In the in the in the Welsh in the Wales article. Um, which, as I said earlier, was written f almost five years ago. Um, the number that I came up with then was 20,000 rollerbladers worldwide. And I have a better model now that's explained in the articles um, that you can, you can find on BMAG. Um, but the range that I have is from about 15,000 uh, aggressive rollerbladers who fit my definition, which is a, a fairly generous definition, I think, um, <clears throat> from fifteen to twenty-five thousand total in the world. And one thing that we skipped over was that the main motivation was um, coming up with a number and finding out if that number was more or less than one hundred thousand, because that's the the magic number that David Crystal. Uh, the linguist from Wales had identified. So uh, there were a number of people that I'd spoken to uh, who for no good reason seemed to think that, yeah, we're smaller than we used to be, but we think it's probably about 100,000. 
<laughs> that's... And I remember hearing that and thinking, man, that's like, think about that number. Think about, think about that. Think about how many people that would have to be. So and many. When you start looking in your own town, you know, at the time I was living in Austin, Texas, and, you know, we had a really good, robust scene. They have, they have the same scene there now, even though I'm not a part of it. Um, it's a fantastic scene, and they all skate together. And there's some, some high-end guys who put out really great content, and there's other guys who just skate at the Monday morning sessions at the skate park and don't really, you know, interact with the larger culture, as it were. They don't go to the contest. They don't travel around. They don't make videos. They probably don't read the magazines or go on the BMAG message board or any of the other places. Um, and we had something like 47 guys in the kind of greater Austin metro area. Um, and, and that population has the, – the, the general population is something like you know, 1.7 million people live in that area. So if you if you kind of divide that out, you wind up with a number that's, you know, a little, a little less than half if you want a number per million people. So, you know, the, I, I came up the model the model that I have is, deals in in bladers per million or BPM, and most scenes have in the United States most scenes have about twenty five rollerbladers per million people in the general population. So if you think about your own um, your own skate scene and you live in wherever you Philadelphia or Oklahoma City or wherever you live, you know, count up the number of guys who skate and you know divide that out by how many you know million people live in that area and you'll get your BPM number. And when and you guys were actually one of the tests. Um, because when you when you get into there being fifty guys or 100 guys, or 250 guys, or 450 guys in, in a city like Chicago, or New York City, or one of the other big metro, Los Angeles, you know, 450 guys is a lot of people to know on your own, but when the numbers work out for a place like Kamloops, where you know exactly how many fucking guys there are, there aren't any stray dudes who you don't know about. You know, and so so looking at places that has a really small population is a good safeguard to see if the model is working. And I'm pretty confident in the model that I've got. There's there's some issues that I want to discuss with it um, in part four that a couple of people have emailed me and asked questions or made observations or given me criticism. Uh, and I've welcomed all of it, and I've tried to be super polite about getting criticism. Because um, even I think people who are being mean at the start really just want their 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 issue heard and so it doesn't really do me any good to lash out you know back at people um but while there are some issues i don't think that they are issues that are significant enough to you know be wrong by 50 percent in my estimate or even 30 percent you're really good with um getting back to people and listening to what they say and and giving a good reply. I think that's really important in the year. I try to do that. The part of part, when I first started writing rollerblading articles in the first place, it was kind of designed as a community service project in the first place. So the idea of sort of it sounds pretentious, but I really didn't intend it this way. The idea was just to sort of make myself available as the kind of staff or house linguist 
you know, for, for rollerbladers to ask me questions. But I didn't really get blown away with questions, and so I sort of started developing my own content. And, you know, people could take it or leave it. But actually, on this point, and we'll come right back to where we were, but on this point, I would like to ask our audience uh, a question that I wanted to ask right at the start, but we kind of got off to the races right there at the beginning. And the question is, um, and, and if you would please, please, if you've, if you've stuck with us all the way to here, um, if you would respond in the comments, I would love to hear your, your opinion or your perspective. I am thinking about doing voice recordings of all of my articles, both from now on and my back catalog. And I'm wondering how many people would, would listen or how many people would, yeah, how many people would listen to my articles if they were read by someone, not necessarily me, but read by someone so that you could listen to them as if it was a five or ten minute long podcast type of thing. It's not a podcast because there's no conversation. It'd just be a recording of somebody reading it. But I'm wondering if more people would encounter my work if they could listen to it rather than have to sit there and read it. So if you're still listening and you care to comment, I would love to hear whether you would, whether you're fine reading the articles that I write whether you never bother reading them and you only hear me as the guest on the podcast, or if you would be willing to suffer through the articles if they were read to you. You wouldn't read them yourself? No, I've got a terrible voice. What? I think... No, say, no. So for audiobooks, when it's... What is it? Abridged or abridged or... what? It, abridged. Abridged? And then so un unabridged is everything. And then abridged is they take shit out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I would love to hear you reading them, and then this is the way my mind works: going on little side trails and then going back into the article. So you would basically be doing solo podcasts, um, but based around your articles or solo recordings, I guess. Um, unless you have some amazing person who's going to like, is it going to be a rollerblader who reads it? Hopefully not. <laughs> That's actually uh, a really funny idea. If it's not, all I want is somebody who's got a really good voice who could, who could do the articles better justice than I could, uh, reading them out loud. Would you trust them to, uh, like read it? Um, that's such an interesting idea, though. So someone who doesn't rollerblade, who has a nice voice, do you think things would still translate um, just by listening to a human voice? Uh, well, I mean, a good. I mean, there's not so much jargon that it wouldn't. It wouldn't. It wouldn't. You know, that it would matter that much. Um, you know, any anybody who can read can read the word soul grind, and everybody who's listening is going to understand what I'm talking. What they're talking about. <laughs> I'm almost. I, I personally, I would love for you to read them, but now I'm starting to lean towards the idea of someone with a really nice voice reading the articles. You have one listener in me. Where would we access these? Is that too? Is that question? No, no, no. So, so the way that I would do it if I were going to move forward with it would be, I would probably, I probably need to get in touch with uh, with with Justin at one, um, and he he he's he's done me a solid. He's kept all of my old articles up. Uh, and I'm really grateful that he's done that because, um, you know, I put a lot of work into those things. The ones that I wrote in the beginning were way more academic. And um, it's nice that he's he's just letting them sit there. 
Um, and so I probably what I would probably do is build my own WordPress site just to house the back catalog where I would provide a link to the it'd be sort of like the way that you guys do it where you've got the podcasts on one column and the articles in the other column yeah do it, it. list and it would be like you know item A and item B and item A would be the the recording and item and item uh, A would be the I don't know did I say that right Item A would be the recording, and item B would be the link to the article at one magazine. Definitely do it. Part of the problem is that if somebody just reads them, there's a lot of references to pictures and illustrations and diagrams and things that just wouldn't be able to be covered. Oh, yeah. As I move forward, I would have to kind of adjust my writing um, to compensate for the fact that you know the diagrams won't be visible to somebody just listening. Yeah, that that's a tough one, but... I wouldn't want that to hinder your writing at all. Like, I wouldn't want you to write for audio. No, I mean, most mostly, you know, images don't play a huge role in most of my stuff. Um, so it's it's not it's not a giant issue because I don't rely on images and diagrams um, all that much. Some of them, like the the first the first article that I wrote for BMag was called. Um, what your mouth can teach you about style, and it had a picture of um, the the cover of uh, VG sixteen or eighteen or whatever, and it has a picture of Jeff Stockwell doing a disaster top porn on this like nine flat nine rail, or there's no flat, it's just a nine and then a flat and then another nine, and he's do you know you know do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, Battle of My Crew three cover. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. So it's a really iconic picture, but the point is that. Um, I, I make I make an argument that there is an objective part of style, which is actually the jump on, or the mounting of the rail or the ledge or whatever, um, because your 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 brain often works as a butler to get your affairs in order before it it needs to do what it's about to have to do. So, good style limiting only to jumping onto the rail can be defined as the precision with which your body puts your feet in the right position before locking on such that when you lock on the amount of movement that you have to do to get into the exact position you need to be in to execute the grind. Um, I lost my, I lost the grammar of that sentence. It would determine the, 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 the amount that you have to move determines whether it was good style or bad style because good style would be having your feet already in the torque sole position in the air so that you just lay your feet down on the rail and they don't have to move once they get there. Yeah. Bad style is like old school front farfanugans where people would jump on front side and then just bend and lean over into it and it looked terrible. <laughs> and you can say that it's objective because you can actually see how much someone's feet have to move. So when you look at that picture of Jeff Stockwell, um, his feet, man, he's doing a top porn in the sky, you know, and you can tell that his feet aren't going to be in a different position when he hits that rail. And uh, just recently on Instagram, Alex Broskow did an air topsail where he was airing over um, a picnic table and it he was basically doing a topsail 
in the air, just like Jeff Stockwell. And it looked amazing. Interesting. Um, as, as a, as a, as a isolated jump, I don't know what I would say about that. <laughs> it was funny. Cause it's like, it was a joke, but it wasn't cause it was still Alex Braskow and he performed it better than most of us yeah. could. So his, his joke tricks almost are, um, I don't know. I'm just, uh, yeah, just, I don't know on that Braskow level of perfectly done. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but anyway, the, the point was that article benefited from having the photo right there to be able yes. to see. Yes. Um, and I think, I think the reason, the, the reason that it could work is that, you know, most of the time you don't need to have a, a, per, a perfect photograph like that to support it. But if you did, you could just click on it and see, oh, that's the picture he's talking about. Oh yeah, I see. Yeah. His feet are doing a porn star. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got it. But you still would have to read the article. Yeah, I be, I watched in the last couple of days. I watched a couple of those twenty-five minute long montages of Vine videos. And <laughs> oh my! Oh my God, dude! Like those are black holes. Like, sometimes. You want to feel like you fucking lost your mind, man? Like, <laughs> oh, Dane and I have had some bad sessions watching um, either yeah, like Vine compilations or or um, fail compilations or uh, meanwhile in Russia, there's. Uh, yeah, no, I know all those, but like the fall compilations, like you, you, you like it's it's a different it's a different it's a different category. It's a different genre because you understand that it's 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 this guy. He's about to do some dumb thing. He's gonna get hurt, and then when it's over, he'll be hurt, and we'll go to the next guy, and we'll see a new scenario. But the way that the editing works, and how fast they are, and how you cannot predict what's gonna happen next. It's often difficult to tell where they begin and end in those montages. <laughs> and so it's like this this like 25 minute long mind fuck where you just like what what like what is going on here? When, 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 I am sure that I've seen a hundred different vine videos in the last minute or how, how what are they 5 seconds long? Six there's seconds? 6. Yeah. 6 seconds. So there's 10 10 But like you know, it'll be like a dude walking down the street whistling, and then he'll get hit in the face with a pie, and then like it'll be like a black guy like shooting a gun, and then the next one will be like a a, a fat lady falling in a pool, and then some guy yelling at his grandma, and like you just like when is the way when were they all the same one? Were they five different ones? You know, was the black guy with the with the rifle part of the guy getting hit in the face with a pie? Like it's 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 like. It's like juxtaposition bonanza. Yeah, yeah. It it's because uh... it'll be like "fuck you, grandma," and then it'll be sitting in school, and that's the end of the video. And you're like, "What the what the fuck was that? What does that even mean?" You don't have time to have a reaction because it's already on to the next thing. But um... it's the montages that are like if the the one that you guys did with the old school backslide and the new school backslide <laughs> that I watched over and over, and and it's it's clear when you're watching it. That old school backslide is the beginning of the sequence. Yeah, and so when it ends and starts again, you know that that's the beginning. But the rest of them are like watching those looping gifs where you don't know when did it start. Oh, sometimes I can if it's a good one, I can watch uh, a nice gif. Um, I don't know, ten times, fifteen times. 
There was a really good thread on BMAC where it was people taking their favorite tricks uh-huh. and making them animated GIFs. And there was some in there that were just so great. Like um, Dustin Latimer and Brain Fear Gone. How familiar are you with that section? Fairly, but not down to the individual trick level. Uh, what do you got? He, it's, um, it's the disaster. He does a kink rail, I think... I think Royale and then launches off the middle of the kink and then does like a disaster Ali Macchio on oh, kind yeah, of like yeah. the dink. Yeah. Um, that one, I think I watched. That's the last trick of the first part of the section before it goes into the crazy shit, right? I think it's just before his bridge drop maybe. And I think he changes yeah, clothes when they change the angle. Or he, or his shirt's different or something. Oh yeah, um, he's wearing a t-shirt in one and a tank top in the other or something like that. Yeah, but that was just one of those ones that I didn't fully appreciate until I got to just watch that one over and over and over again. I didn't realize how kind of uh, in its own world that that one trick was. That nobody yeah. is like, there's not like a guy who's really good at that skill. Yeah, that that's. People have kind of like explored. I, I know um, Broscow has like explored doing fish brains and backslides completely controlled on the dink of a rail. Is that what you guys call it? The dink? Oh, we call it the dick. Oh, the dick. Because oh. <laughs> it's the part that will fuck you. <laughs> That's awesome that it's um, that it's similar. That that wasn't like printed. Right. Anywhere, so the dick and the dink. Anyways, Broskow has explored that a little bit, but not um, not the way Latimer did. But the what I'm saying is that I love I love people putting up animated gifs and, and Vine videos of um, really impressive tricks or tricks that they like because you instead of having to fast forward and rewind, you just get to kind of like be hypnotized mm-hmm. in a loop. Um, and we should, we should totally do one of those compilations of our vines. I think we have enough for like maybe ten minutes or five minutes. I don't know. Holy cow! I, should... I don't, I don't, I don't subscribe to that. So I don't, I don't, I haven't. I only see the things that y'all put on Facebook. We haven't done any in a while, but I know there's enough of them that we could do a compilation. What, uh, what caused you to go down the, the black hole of, of vine compilations? How'd you get there? Oh God, I don't know. Do you have a recommendation of one of the compilations? No, none of them. No, <laughs> like no, they're like it, they're amazing. But it's like it's like it's like why I can't I can't even describe it. We we can. I I almost feel like I almost feel like this this podcast. Like I should come on. We should do this again. Like in a week. And and you know I'll have broken the the podcasting chains off of my brain, and be able to to you know provide more entertaining, insightful commentary than I have tonight. But I, I I don't have the words to describe. I would have to sit down and think about how to describe my experience. <laughs> you know, it, it, like it, it's so it's bewildering at 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 a minimum. It's, um, that's a good thing. 
it it must have been a good experience then, or at least a memorable one. Um, yeah, but I mean, there's a lot of like the old codger types who are saying, "Oh, the kids these days can't even sit down and fucking read a book," you know. And and one thing that bothers me about it is that I do feel my my sense of patience uh, uh, shrinking. And you know, the uh, people people talk about how you know nobody makes full length skate videos anymore. It's such a huge ordeal to get a skate video made that's an hour long. And guys who are used to making two minute edits are like, "Dude, you want an hour? You want fucking thirty of those? Are you kidding me?" That no was one two months worth, two months worth of fucking work, man. No Just one's gonna watch. No one's gonna watch a, a, a long skate video. Right. Even even the Haitian one that just came out. That was fantastic for anybody who hasn't seen it or uh, bought it yet. It comes highly recommended. I think it was like 40 minutes and I, it was too long for me. Too long. Too long. I'm going to be, I'm going to be going back to school to do a PhD soon. And you know, I, I need to be able to sit down for 12 hours and read a book. Like the idea of having six seconds to watch a Vine video before I'm ready for the next six seconds. Like I have, I have like in the next, in the next couple of years, I will read 3000 books. And like it within from, from now until like seven years from now, you know, like in the, in the, just in the PhD, you know, you'll read three books a week per class. Holy crap! What is uh, what is this PhD? Um, well, I'm, I'm I'm working on that because I I, I have a very narrow uh, a goal in mind, and and what I really want is to do an interdisciplinary PhD between three different departments. So, what the PhD winds up being titled will be kind of irrelevant. Okay. Be between um, the English department, the communication department and the cognitive psychology department holy crap what i want what i want to do is something that doesn't really exist yet in a way it's kind of like rollerblading um where there there are a couple of people like rollerblading i should say in like 1990 where there's people doing it there's people who've got the right idea but i really like to get in on the ground level and do something that's called cognitive rhetoric which is sort of the intersection of um cognitive psychology uh cognitive linguistics and rhetoric and so the whole thing would be cognitive rhetoric holy crap just thinking about some of the books that you're gonna be reading my attention span even like a paragraph just just shrivels (laughs) yeah yeah well that i mean that's that's the thing i've got i i'll be able to take a couple of classes before it starts so I'll be able to kind of get my sea legs going before I wade all the way into it. Um, but it's it's really, really worrisome to think that I've been out of school for several years now, yet I'm going to need to get myself back into the mode where I can get, you know, two books read before I, you know, have to go back to school tomorrow morning. Holy fuck. I don't think, uh, don't quit smoking until after this is completed, I would say. That's my advice. Uh, it, it seems it's it, it seems insurmountable at this point. Because <laughs> wouldn't uh, I imagine other smoking? People, other people have have babies, have you know spouses die, have parents die, have all kinds of things happen while they're in school. 
I mean, some people fucking go to war and come back and finish school. How many years did you say? Three? No, seven? Wait, how many years was it? For how the long books? do I think it'll take from yeah. right now? Yeah. Um, from now, not more than seven. Holy shit. But I'm a year out from starting. How many years of school have you done up to this point? Um, post, post-secondary? Yes, yes. Eight years. Wow. So I'm, I'm roughly halfway. But it won't be as much work. It's 100, I think it's 120 credit hours. So, I mean, my, my wife did hers in three years. But I, I don't know that I could get mine done in three years. Maybe that's, I could. That's next level. Um, my, my wife is next level. I know. That's why I married her. I don't know why she married me, but she did. Is there is there too too much um, brain power in that house sometimes, or is that a good thing? Well, we don't. We're not each other's readers. That's good. So it doesn't actually like the the kinds of things that we go to each other for advice are really mechanical kinds of things. Um, we we really have our own separate methods and and sets of people who we go to for generating ideas and honing the ideas and then actually writing um everything down so we don't strain our relationship by expecting too much out of each other and that's really nice it's it feels like a very mature uh dimension to a relationship that i didn't have in earlier relationships that does sound good and would she listen to um your back catalog of of articles in in audiobook form I don't know about that. I mean, like, maybe, maybe like the first part, because all the all the ones that I wrote for one had a really a really kind of static format, and that was here's this lesson, here's this academic object lesson, and then in part page two or part two is now okay now here's how that has to do with rollerblading. So, I could see how she might listen to the first part of all those, because there's a lot of ideas that she might be interested in hearing. But um, and some of some of them she knows about. But as soon as it gets into rollerblading, she just turns off because she didn't care, and I don't need her to care. I she, yeah, I prefer it that way actually. She doesn't have she doesn't have a bias against it, and she encourages me to do it. Um, but you know she she doesn't want to sit for two hours and talk about whether a you know a negative open book is canonical or not. She'd fucking fall asleep. That I think that's a good thing. Wouldn't it be weird if, uh, if if some I don't know if your wife was really into it? I don't, I don't know if that would be healthy. It would. Well, it it just it it just doesn't connect at all because if you didn't do it, why would you care about it? Yeah, yeah, you might be a crazy person. Well, it would worry me more that you were married to a crazy person than <laughs> than you were married to somebody who likes rollerblading who didn't. <laughs> Having your own shit to do and your own shit that you're into is very important in a relationship. Yeah. Yeah, but also just not putting unnecessary strain, I mean, on the relationship. I mean, like, I had I had a relationship um, sort of at the at the end of high school and into the first couple of years of college, and this 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 gal and I we we worked together. We didn't live together, but she stayed over at my apartment all the time. So we basically lived together. We slept in the same bed together. 
we were it was like we were coworkers, best friends, you know, we were having sex with each other and she would come and watch me skate and I would go watch her do certain things. She was in she she was into some some whatever. Um <laughs> But like it, it was, it was way too much. You know, it, it was like nobody, nobody. You can't, you can't be somebody's, you know, confidant and be their best friend and be their boyfriend. Like you, you need to talk to other people. Yeah. Other people in your life, and when you get so reliant, you know, if anything goes wrong, then the whole thing kind of collapses. Sort of like an upside down pyramid. Oh, definitely, and. Um, as you get older, that would just be exhausting. There's a certain amount of energy that you have at, at that age that that kind of thing is possible um, for a small window of time. We, all, I think everybody, or not everybody, but a, but a decent amount of people have a version of that where it's like, holy shit. And then like the phone, having to be on the phone. Did you have to do that for, for long periods of time? I don't, what do you mean? Like... Um, like like with girlfriends, the idea of um, them just wanting to hang out on the phone with you, even if there was nothing to talk about. I don't know. That's such a strange thing because to me, like, that goes straight back to the 90s where, like, you'd sit there with the phone cord and it'd be stretched all the way out from the kitchen all the way into your room or into the bathroom or whatever. And you were limited by the length of the phone cord. It's so crazy that you, you know, and like, you know, my dad would yell, Frank, get off the phone. I need to send a fax. <laughs> and you're like, all right, honey, I got to get off the phone. My dad needs to send a fax. <laughs> or like, you know, he needs to get on AOL, you know, to check the, to check the email. <laughs> and like every kid, I mean, I had a pager, you know, I was actually telling somebody this recently. When I was when I was in high school, my parents actually got for our house a one eight hundred number, which sounds strange at first because you think one eight hundred number, you think you know, I don't know what anybody thinks of one eight hundred numbers anymore, but the idea was that we they could page us on our my sister and I they could page us and we could call the house for free from any payphone because we'd be making a one eight hundred call from the payphone, and it wasn't a different phone or a special phone it wasn't like the president having the red phone that you called russia with to decide whether we're going to end the world today or not it's just so strange that there was a part there was a, a point in my life where i lived in a house that had a 1-800 number so that when i was out or out of town my parents could page me and i could call them back on a payphone without having to always have quarters because they didn't want any excuses why we couldn't call. That's a smart idea. I, I didn't know about that. We would do the like um, we would be out skating after after high school downtown, and um, you would do a collect call, and and it would be you have a collect call from, and you had that little bit of time you could record your voice. Yeah. Did you have that? We would just go. Yeah, you say, hey it's, hey, it's me. I'll be home in in, in an hour and a half. And <laughs> yeah, not or, have to for the call. Yeah. That was our way. Or pick us up at Riverside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's rich. That's <laughs> that's that's just like that that piece of, of, of history is just gone and doesn't exist anymore. Every single kid has his own phone. 
And you can get the family plan for $150 and have six cell phones. That's wild. That I can't even imagine um, people uh, like kids going over their data. Like, there's probably kids who just don't understand. You know, wait to check your phone until you're on the Wi-Fi. There must be some bills that are astronomical of people just bored waiting somewhere and browsing the internet and looking at YouTube like yeah, they're on yeah, Wi-Fi. I mean, if, you're, if you're a parent, though, I think you only have to get fucked by that once or twice before you. <laughs> Go for the unlimited data plan or whatever. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, I always wonder if the... You know how you say, watching the Vine video, that you say your attention span is slipping a little bit? You can feel it? Yeah. Yeah, I would say that. Um, I can't I can't remember um, if it, if it was slower or not and if and if it was um like the idea of going to hang out um at somebody's house seems different for some reason with 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 and without phones you know like you would just hang out Mm -hmm. would we do that more if we didn't have our phones or just because we're older we don't hang out i don't know i think about all those weird things there's there's various there's various people pushing back, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll get people on your Facebook who are like, look, I can't do it anymore. Y'all, if you want to call me, here's my number. I'm, I'm piecing out. I'm deleting my account. And some people will do that and come back and do that and come back. Kind of like smokers who quit and start and quit and start. Um, and then there's, there's still a couple of people who you would, who I know who I would really expect to have Facebook and to be balls deep in Facebook and just aren't. And there's a lot of people who I know who've just gotten off of it. And unfortunately, it puts me, you know, further from them because I don't, you know, see a, a digest of what's going on in their life every day. Um, but, you know, at the, at the same time, there's there's people who are, who are getting rid of their smartphones and going back to little flip phones just because they don't, they feel like it's taken over their life. And I could definitely sympathize. Yeah, because were you late on the on the smartphone bandwagon? Oh yeah, way late. I got mine like a year ago. Uh, um, how do you like it? Could you see yourself going back? Um, honestly, the, the like the 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 map function in the car is really helpful. Yeah. Where you want to say like you know you're somewhere you're not familiar with and you need the route, or you want to find out where's the closest such and such. I probably use the map the most. And I play Othello on my phone all the time, um, which I could probably live without. I'd probably be better off if I didn't do that. But having having the map is probably the main thing. Um, the reason that I pushed back so long was because uh, my wife was working for a company, a nonprofit, and they provided a, a stipend for the phone on the basis that they would get a smartphone so that they could answer their emails basically 24 hours a day and she would be like at two o'clock in the morning wake up and send a quick email and then go back to sleep and and i was teaching at the time and i remember thinking fuck dude if my students get wind of the fact that i'll answer an email at midnight i'll be done (laughs) i'll I'll like that will just fuck my life in every way possible oh it's fucking lots of people's lives right now the idea that like oh we'll just send him an email he'll answer back like no 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 
No. My policy as a teacher, when you email me, I will respond within 24 hours. That's if a good policy. Weekend, I will respond within 48 hours. 24 hours is still very quick. Well, yeah, I mean, I try to be diligent about it. And, and you don't get that many emails. Most kids will just say, wait, what was the homework again? <laughs> I think I've sent some of those in my time. None of them, none of them, none of them are calling to say, you know, let's have some fucking deep conversation over email, real quick. You know, it's it's never that involved. It's just, but I don't want to be reminding kids what the fucking homework is at fucking midnight. You know, I go to bed at nine thirty, dude. I'm already up. I'm already up. Almost past. I'm an hour past my bedtime right now. Oh shit! Well, we're we're wrapping anyway. We're at we're at the end. Um, well, well, no, you- I, I, I was. I wasn't saying that to try to get off. I mean, we usually say that we're done at at, at the two hour mark, which is right where we're at. Yeah, I'm it just, usually goes on for half hour. Let me go um, through. We we didn't get through everything, did we? Not even close. No. Um. Oh, let's. Emotion is a big one. Oh damn, we didn't get through much at all. The the. How, be- how would you feel about doing an, a, a a round two sometime soon ish? Yeah, I'm down. I'm done all like big editing for things now, and I have more free time. So, yeah, I'm into it. I think I think that the the podcasts that I've listened to where it's where it's funny are really a lot more entertaining. I think that I think that a lot of people listen to the ones that I come on because you know I you know it's maybe not funny is or as funny, and people. Or, you know, appreciate the break where you kind of cleanse the palate and then go back and the other ones are, you know, even funnier because you've listened to me talk for two hours. But I do I do like the ones that are funny. I like the ones where you can, you can, like, the both the you or, or, or Todd or whoever and the other, and the, and the guest are just dying laughing. And I can just picture people, you know, in their cars or in their houses doing their dishes or at their job, you know, just cackling out loud in their cubicle over something. And I've definitely done it. I I laugh at this one. I just like you didn't even have to go in depth about the vine thing. Yeah. And just the tone of your voice, I I started laughing. <laughs> about I've been hung over before, and I've I've gone deep on some of those things. Yeah. And it, on my phone too. It's not it's not like I stream it to my TV. I'm staring at this tiny little screen. Oh God! Do you do it till till your phone battery starts beeping at you? I've had like eye strain before from just just being hungover and just watching videos on my phone for long periods of time and eating shitty food. Yeah, and it it's so futuristic, and it's funny too. Um, oh my God! I, I'm I'm gonna plug something. If, <laughs> have you seen? I think it's Canadian. I'm pretty sure it's Canadian. There's a show called Black Mirror. Oh, I've heard a lot about it. I've heard a Holy lot about fucking it. Fucking shit, dude! You, it's like there's six episodes or three episodes. I don't remember how many there are. It's, B- it's BBC, I think. Is there such a thing as BBC Canada? Um, there must be. There must be. I think there might be. I swear it's Canadian. Oh my god! And then and then the fucking the South Park thing. You don't. I don't know if you you don't watch Game of Thrones. I've, I've, I'm I'm a Game of Thrones watcher. Um, and I haven't read the books. I own them, and I just haven't carved out the time to to read them. Um, 
But there's a hilarious scene where there's these demonic uh, ice people. They're called the White Walkers, and they live north of the ice wall. And there's this terrific battle, and everybody dies, and this whole thing. And then the one guy, like the boss of the White Walkers, shows up on the shore. And, you know, the, the lead character is like, just escaped with his life, and he's sailing out, you know, into this icy ocean or whatever. And and somebody made a fucking gif of 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 that scene cut to the um to the uh the the South Park episode with the Canadians where they send those guys out on the ice flow uh, out on the ice flow and he's going I yeah I'm, I'll what does he say fuck um oh my god what does he say I'm gonna get you for this friend or whatever he says oh it, like. <laughs> I'm not your friend, buddy. And the guy's like, I'm not your buddy, guy. <laughs> oh yeah, Ter- it would have been Terrence and Philip. Yeah, it was Terrence and Philip. Yeah, and they put these these like bankers or something out on the ice. Canadian, you know, corrupt bankers or something. I don't know who they are. I, I haven't seen the episode in however ten years or whatever it was, but it was so perfectly done. Oh my god, and it just shows. You know, Jon Snow, the character, and he's going out on this boat, and, the, and it cuts to the White Walker, and he's standing there all all severe looking, you know. And, I'm not your buddy, guy! <laughs> it's so good. I hope that somebody I hope that somebody out there saw that and gets a laugh. Yeah, I gotta... And then I went like a half a day, and I couldn't stop saying it. I was walking around, walking around the house, walking around work, saying, I'm not your friend, buddy! <laughs> <laughs> it isn't uh terrence and philip like the joke is that from it's because it's from canada the animation's way shittier than south park even like it's even more you know i don't know about that i i, I always thought that they just however it came up that the canadians had like the 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 two halves of a head <laughs> and and that was the only thing but i think that I think that Terrence and Philip are, are, are particularly I don't think that the Canadians are in general. I think it's just Terrence and Philip because they're the cartoon that the boys watch. Okay, yeah. And they have half a head but Canadian it's, characters. It's sort of like, it's sort of like um um what what's the what's the uh, itchy and scratchy in The Simpsons. Oh yeah, that's right. It's like a cartoon within a cartoon. So it's it's the Terrence and Philip show. Although I guess they're supposed they're they're supposed to be real people, but it's it's I don't know, it's unclear whether you know the world is real in South Park or not. I could have sworn when they had like a like a Canadian politics scene in the in the South Park movie, um, that all of the Canadians, were, they all have were, heads. Yeah, yeah. But they're not they're not all like badly drawn like Terrence and Philip are. But. Oh, okay, but the half heads, yeah, yeah, the half heads, but they have regular bodies and regular arms and legs and all that. But Terrence and Philip are, are you know, back to the cu- the cardboard cutout style. <laughs> I have to watch more South Park. I always say that I- I'm so behind on uh, on South Park. See, your attention span has gotten so bad from the Vine videos that you can't even watch a 20 minute cartoon. It's true. It's true. And, uh, I mean, I'm thinking about I'm like <clears throat> back in <clears throat> back in grad school, like reading five books in a week was a normal week, and reading ten books in a week was a lot. Like that was really a lot, and the teachers all knew it, and they would say, "Look, 
you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that we got a double down, but you know, I wanted to be here by you know in three weeks, and we're not going to be there if we don't buckle down. And we fucked around a little bit, so you're going to have to do these two tonight, and we're going to have to do these two on Thursday night, and then you have you know three or four classes where they're all saying that in the same week, and you wind up reading ten or twelve books, and it's just crazy. Two books in a night. Well, like it's two books for that class. Like if you meet on Tuesdays and Thursdays, you know you have two books to read between Tuesday and Thursday. How how big are these but books? Like they're like two to three hundred fifty page academic books usually. Oh my god! I'm not a book man. I'm not a book man, Frank. It's, it's what you, it's what you're there for, though. It'd be like it'd be like complaining like. You go to the skate park and like, God, dude, there's 18 quarter pipes I've got to drop in on in this place. Are you serious? Oh, okay, yeah, that's true. That's true. Like you're there on purpose to do that stuff, you know. And if if you're somebody who can't drop in on a quarter pipe, the idea of looking at you know 18 of them and being like, fuck, you know. If but it was you, watch if ten later and you go there for that reason, you're like, look at all these fucking quarter pipes. Fuck yeah, I can go over here. I can connect it to over there. It's gonna be red. Yeah, and that for sure. You or, feel similarly in graduate school, especially if you're in classes that you want to be in. I'll I'll watch the ten movies, I'll listen to the ten albums, but ten books is gargantuan even over two years for me. Two years? Holy crap. Yeah. Yeah, I've tried. Um like pre pre internet my attention span um was not good with books in, in high school. I don't I didn't read any of them actually. Yeah, though, in high school, you're 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 reading a lot of shit that you wouldn't choose to read on your own. What was it? Uh, the Chrysalids, All Quiet on the Western Front. Um, God damn it, that's all I remember, and I didn't read either of those. I, yeah, I, I I can sympathize. I mean, I I I faked my way through high school pretty much the whole time. It's amazing how you can get away with it. Um, well, I mean, I don't know. That's that's almost a whole other whole other topic on its own. Education in general, but yeah, that that's the true. thing though is when you when you get into graduate school, you really go there on purpose, and you really go there to learn specific things, and you have a lot more say in in the courses that you're taking, and it's it's stuff that you want to know about. That's true. That's true. For me, even if it's something I'm interested in, like a like a book on rollerblading, I might be able to get through that. I might be able to. I've, get I've through thought. That. I've thought a lot about whether I should write a book on rollerblading. I think there there should be books on rollerblading, definitely. I mean, one of the th- so so I'm a big fan of um um oh god Christopher Hitchens, and um. He used to write articles before he died. He used to write articles for The Atlantic and for uh, Salon. And I think that he put out at least one or two compilations of... It was just a book, but it was like, you know, 25 long articles that he'd written where each one is more or less a chapter. And and a theme kind of emerges as you go through the whole thing. And it's also aided by the fact that it's written by the same guy and he's got the same style and the same attitudes and so on. Um, but I, I think that I think that if I were going to write a book about rollerblading, it wouldn't be a book where I sit down and write it. It would be you know twenty five essays on rollerblading, and it would be essays like the ones that I normally write, and they would just be compiled together. I like that a lot. I could I could easily get into that. 
the th- I would have to. It would be that, and then about you know, a quarter to a half of the content would have to be maybe unreleased, and then a quarter to a half would be, um, you know, articles that had already been published on BMag or whatever. Yeah, you're you, you're you'd on want, your way. You'd want some incentive for people to actually buy it for there to be new content. Yeah, you know, it have to, it would have to be. I mean, I, I can't imagine any publisher who would who would do it. I'd probably have to self-publish it. Although I don't know, maybe maybe somebody would publish it. I could ask around. What's like the minimum run that you have to do for a book these days? If you know the answer to that question. Um, my wife's first book did three thousand copies. Holy shit! Um, that was from a small press out of Michigan. Um, you, there's not like extra boxes in the garage or anything, is there? Um. I don't. I think that they sold out of the ones that they had. I think that we may have a box. I know that we had a box of proofs, which is the book, you know, that comes out um, where things aren't totally finalized yet. Oh yeah. And there's a lot of um, uh, publishers' notations on the pages, like it shows the margins with different graph, you know, different um, like. I don't even know what to call them, like indi- indicators for the print, you know? Oh, yeah. It, it just it looks more like a blueprint, but the text is there and the things are all on the right pages. Um, the, the cover is usually blank where the cover has a big sort of sticker-looking thing over it. It says, this is a proof, not for sale, blah, blah. Um, I think, yeah, I think, that her, I think that that run was, was a th- two or three thousand. I I bet that's that's way more than the average uh, rollerblading VOD. That is a good run. That is a good run of books. An article or or a topic that I've wanted to cover for a very long time is the similarities between uh, the indie literature scene in the world and rollerblading because the similarity because it's that's basically comparing my wife's stuff to my stuff. Even though she's largely out of that scene now, because um, she kind of got fed up with it, and, and also just kind of moved on in general. Um, but what you have is a ton of people who are really talented, doing work for no money in their spare time, totally for the love, most of the time with money from their own pocket, from their own day job, um, and it's a it's a very small community that you, you know, that's fairly tight-knit. It's much, much bigger than rollerblading is. But it's also maligned by the general public and has declined in popularity severely over the over the years. And just about anything that you can say about one, you can say about the other. <laughs> so true. But it's it's incredible, though, because, I mean, you look at, you look at some of the great, you know, pieces of literature from history and you think, well, God, how come we don't have a modern day Homer writing stories? Well, we do. You just don't fucking read that shit. Yeah. You know, and, and the same thing, like, you know, how how come nobody does dope shit on rollerblades anymore? Haffy's still out there, you know, Sizemore, he's, he's doing it. He's out there. These guys, these guys are out there still doing gnarly shit. Just because you don't see it doesn't mean that it's not going on. 
Yeah, what's the one uh, Velvet Underground's first album only sold 100 copies, but everyone that bought it started a band? Yeah. That idea. I love that. That's that's a romantic idea for sure. <laughs> of course. That's definitely, yeah, like a, a telephone version of the quote. Well, while we've got, I know we don't have a whole lot of time left. No. While we have some time, let me just ask you this. What is, what is your reaction? Okay, so, so if, if I say to you, I think that there are probably about fifteen or 20,000 rollerbladers, if we can say, like you and me, like the people listening to this podcast, uh, out there in the world, what do you make of that? So number number one, do you think that the number is is right or even close? And number two, if it is if it is close or if it is right, what do you make of that number? Um, I think that number is very close. I remember uh, Todd posted the views for Billy O'Neill's Haitian Mag section, and it was around forty thousand because the section was incredible. Uh, it should have had more views, but he said, "Is this is forty thousand? Is this how many rollerbladers there are in the world?" And I always thought that that was a accurate um, description. So twenty, I think, is twenty to twenty five is the most realistic. Um, and what I make of that, I haven't really thought of that before. I know it's the close. It's very, very it's the closest thing you can get to um, something dying, but I think there's a lot of excitement in the amount of people within that number that are producing stuff, the average age within that number, uh, the amount of like collective experience and knowledge. And um, also that a lot of those people have, have careers and jobs and, and families and aren't um, relying on skating as a, as a career. I don't yeah. know. There's a lot of exciting things within that. It's a strong 20,000 to 25,000. Yeah. Um, it's like a crazy, uh, aggressive rollerblading alumni network. Like we've all graduated from aggressive rollerblading university. Well, something, something that I think is really important to keep in mind is if you look at, if you look at something like, Whatever the name is for, you know, roller skating, aggressive roller skating, like guys like Brian Wainwright and those other guys, you know, there were times I've seen an interview with him and he's he, he there were times where he believed that he was the only guy in the world doing it. Yeah. Now, I imagine that there are, you know, I, I can think of I can think of a dozen people who I know who do it. Did, so, you know, there's at least 15 of them in the world. But those guys show no signs of slowing down. They're still going to go out and skate vert with their giant knee pads and do their thing. And just because there's nobody, there aren't, you know, legions of people behind them doesn't mean anything. They're going to keep doing it. Did you know um, how you referenced roller derby earlier? Have you been following this uh, chicks and bulls thing at all? I, yeah, I've looked at it. I haven't been following it per se, but uh, I'm aware that it exists, and I'm aware that their numbers are increasing. Yeah, I don't know if it was because of that Michelle, like kind of a mix of of roller derby and that Michelle style, and that remember that Bones edit. Yeah, I do. Um, that it could be argued that there's more, or not more, but um, 
there's definitely way more girls that aggressive roller skate than rollerblade is one. And yeah. two, some strange thing about the respect meter um, that some of these people might not uh, be into rollerblading and they're more aligned with the skateboard kind of hot rod tattoo culture thing. I think that that's, that's the one thing. I think that the, the roller derby part of it is the part that has real staying power. And it, 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 while they can organize these events where 20 of them will go to the skate park and cruise around in the bowl, that that isn't at all on the same level of culture that rollerblading has. Yeah. But roller derby at this time definitely has that. Where there are leagues, there is a huge amount of stuff. And I think that that's sort of, um, um, what do you call it? You know, with the, the, what do you call those guys? Greasers. The greaser style. Yeah. The sort of rockabilly tattoos and coveralls and, you know, boots and motorcycles and crappy, crappy light beer um, <laughs> and, you know, punk bands and all that kind of stuff. Like, they have that going on, and that culture is very, uh, it, it's hardening like concrete, and it's going to be around for a very long time. Yeah. Because uh, I think that they're they're totally back, you know, from the 70s when it was popular. It sort of waned and then came back, came roaring back right at the turn of the millennium. And that, I think, is the main culture. And I think that you can look at, you can look at the the chicks in bowls or whatever it's called um, as a kind of a spinoff in in the same kind of way I think that mushroom blading is a spinoff of aggressive skating. So they they have a lifespan and a life arc that's probably closer to mushroom blading than to rollerblading. But I think that the roller derby is probably more akin to the main hub, you know, rather than a satellite. Yeah. But as it is, rollerblading is just, you know, one of the action sports and it's already dwindled, but action sports in their own right, you know, is, is it is a totally, you know, separate spinoff from sports in general, which is massive. I mean, that's, you know, almost everybody on earth. Um, I, I like how you really connected with, um, I posted that article from Coast Mountain Culture. Um, it was the radical issue and, and the editor was writing about how rollerblading may actually be the most radical by definition. Oh yeah. And he, he didn't say action sports. He, he said, uh, sport as fashion uh-huh. and, uh, how you connected with that. Um, I, I just, I love that idea of sport as fashion instead of action sports. Yeah. It's kind of what it has become. Is that what I said or is that what the guy said? No, just you really liked that idea of sport as oh. – he said sport as fashion. And then when you read it in the article, you just said that you love that he said it that way. Oh, yeah. Instead of action sports because we, we use action sports so much. But sport as fashion explains it a lot more uh, how it actually is. Like most people – don't there's not a lot of hardcore participants there's a lot of people who right kind of half participate in the culture or identify with the culture even though well, they don't I think do it. Both, both skateboarding and snowboarding who have become juggernauts uh in action sports 
are really suffering from the you know huge market share that they've got because I, I read I don't know if it was that article that you're talking about or something else but somebody was talking about the problem that we have in skateboarding they said was you know people are tourists in skateboarding where you get the shoes you get the shorts you get the backwards hat you know you buy the skateboard you know maybe you get a backpack and maybe you date a girl for a while who's into dating a skateboarder guy you know and you watch the videos and you become somewhat educated in the culture and somewhat indoctrinated into the culture but then you go to college and you kind of move on and you kind of quit caring and you ride your board less and less and you never learned how to kickflip anyway you know and and you know they're 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 suffering from the the fact that they don't have the community that rollerblading has you know as as as, as modest as we are right now and 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 probably you know I, I don't my prediction isn't that we'll 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 get bigger ever again I think that you know it's it's just going to slowly dwindle from here and there'll only be a slow trickle of younger kids coming in um and so that that kind of leads me to believe that you know rollerblading is dead but not in the sense that I won't be able to do it till I can't, but in terms of it being the ASA all over again, that's that's not real. That's oh, not real. fuck no. That um. So you you kind of an- did you answer that question? Because I I was thinking of asking you the same question. What you make of the number? And that kind of sounds like what you make of the number. Yeah, oh. I mean, I I. I have I there's there's a meme I think it's called unpopular opinion puffin or something like that and or maybe it's not a puffin maybe it's something else I can't remember. Anyway, I think I have I hold a very unpopular opinion that um we're we're better off now than we were when when you know 50 guys could make a salary off of it. Yep. I totally agree. And I think there's still a lot of resistance. Uh, not a lot, but there's resistance. There's to that resistance idea. in in a couple of different forms, and I think that there are some forms that I can tolerate more than others, and some that I can tolerate less than others. And um, you know, I, I I do think that there's there's quite a bit of denial, and I've written a lot of articles um, where I've echoed the theme of you know you need to just forget about the idea of there being a silver bullet you know the 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 thing that we've heard time and again is such and such is going to save rollerblading yeah and 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 I don't have the attitude that it needs saving I think it's way cooler that it's so underground that we can have you know these road trips where everybody knows each other and you can make great friends from all over the place and you can travel cheaply where you can stay with guys all the way along the way and you can know people in France or in Thailand or in Australia or in Germany because you rollerblade and you don't have that with almost anything else that for, for me and for sort of for my money so to speak we're way better off with that i was there was there's a, a rollerblader who who uh, hangs out with me and Jared a lot, and uh, his name is Kevin Barr. He's originally from the Baltimore area, and um, he was over earlier today, and we were talking, and I was asking him, if we were going to put you on a plane tonight and fly you overnight to Paris, do you think that you could, with a smartphone, 
find a rollerblader who would put you up on his couch by tomorrow night. And he thought he could. Yeah, I agree. Even in a place where you don't speak the language, where you don't know where you are, where you don't know where the skate park is, you could get off the plane with your backpack and your skates, and you could find a rollerblader, not only find one, but find one who would let you stay at his house, you know, who would put you up on his couch in the back room, or let you sleep on the floor, or even let you sleep in the yard if you had a sleeping bag. Yeah. Kevin actually went to a fucking concert last night and got super trashed and slept in my backyard. <laughs> I got up I got up this morning to come out to my picnic table and check my internets and have my coffee before work. And I looked out there and the motherfucker was sleeping in the yard. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that that's totally awesome. You know? I think it's totally awesome that a rollerblader knows that my backyard is a safe place to sleep in the grass. <laughs> that's and good I, I don't think that you could do that with soccer or skateboarding I, I, if, 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 if I woke up and somebody was sleeping in my yard and I didn't know who they were and, and they woke up and said it's cool man I'm a rollerblader I'd be like okay fine what the fuck are you doing in my backyard but I wouldn't freak out you know but if it were just, if it were like, if somebody, you know, if I walked out and there was a guy sleeping in the yard and I said, what the fuck are you doing here? And he said, it's cool, bro. I play soccer. I'd be like, get the fuck out of here, dude. Like, you know, but if it was a rollerblader waking up in my lawn, I'd be like, yo, doggy, I got coffee made. You want, do you take half and half? You take cream? You take sugar? <laughs> and, and you're talking about knowing him or no, you don't know this rollerblader at all. And they're sleeping in your backyard, and it still might be okay. Yeah, no, Kevin. I, I mean, he slept in my yard. Yeah. And I actually, you know, I know the guy. Yeah, that. But, but in in the hypothetical scenario where I don't know the guy, yeah. and he said he was a rollerblader, like that's way too obscure thing to just produce on your own. Yeah, you know, it's not like you know some bum could you know come get a free coffee from me by posing as a rollerblader. Yeah, blader. you're right. Oh yeah, you, oh, yeah. You, <laughs> who, who who used to own Senate? <laughs> Yeah, you would be more willing to like sit down with them in the morning and be like, "Well, let's hear your story." I'd want to hear that rollerblading story. Yeah, totally. Um, and I would totally, you know, I full like, you know, you need to take a shower. Are you homeless? Like, what's going on? How come you're in my yard? You need a <laughs> cup of coffee. <laughs> there was that um, meme that I found that's related to your number. Um, you know, that we we might already be dead. But we have a great network, and the the meme was a uh, I don't know if you saw it. It was a guy sitting looking at a computer, and it said "waiting for the rollerblading comeback." And then uh -huh. the second frame was like a corpse. Yeah. And then it said "still waiting." And I yeah. found that, and I don't think it was made by a rollerblader. I think it was made by some clever internet person. It's probably one of my favorite ones that I've seen in a long time. Yeah. Just because it was a person staring at a computer screen, I thought it captured kind of where we've Does been at. Yeah. Like ro contemporary rollerblading. <laughs> yes. Because there's still there's still a lot of that. And there's still a lot of delusions of I, 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 I read things where it's like so-and-so totally deserves to go pro for. Yeah. And there's just people who don't get it anymore. Right. Um, well, 
the thing this the, I'll, I'll add one more thing because I, I I just I want this I want this myth to die and it won't die yeah uh, let, let's end it on this okay all right so so <clears throat> many people believe and many people still circulate this notion that you only use 10% of your brain and 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 just boy imagine if we could use you know even 50% or, or imagine how smart you'd be if you could use a hundred percent. If if this who you are right now is only ten percent, <laughs> and it's it's so wrong. It was it was like that 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 whole thing started with a guy in like 1850 who didn't know dick from sideways, and he just made that up. And for whatever reason, it's gotten traction and become part of the popular culture, and it's just totally wrong. If you weren't you use more than ten percent of your brain to breathe. <laughs> right you use you use 20 percent of your caloric intake daily to power your brain in order to s do something that's called structuring a coherent reality right which is that your your senses encounter all kinds of aberrations you know all day and they wouldn't add up right if, if you were actually experiencing everything that your senses are telling you you would have a fucking total meltdown, like like the worst acid trip anybody's ever had. Yeah. For instance, just just to just to give an example for that, babies, right, who are not used to a uh, who aren't accustomed to wearing clothing, will take off their clothing because they're having sensory overload from being touched by their t-shirt all over their whole torso. You oh, can just imagine. A million people poking you in your in your in your whole torso, and just being like, "Nah, fuck this! I got to just take the shirt off, and make it stop, right?" Yeah, not having sensory overload and keeping colors uniform, keeping you know appearances of things looking uniform. What's called structuring a coherent reality. Yeah, I'm gonna use that. Like, if I'm having a bad day at work, I'm gonna be like, "Listen." I can't really structure a coherent reality right now. I need to go home. <laughs> anyway, just that alone, just being be, the, 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 the suite of things that you have to do just to wear a t-shirt, right? It's like 20% of what your brain is doing all the time. <laughs> so forget breathing, forget respiratory function, heartbeat, everything else. You know, that's, that's already more than 10%. And then the second that you put on a T-shirt, you're bumped up to 30-40% of what your brain has to do during the day. And, and we're well past this, this, this idiocy of there being you know, only 10% of your brain. And there's like a new Morgan Freeman movie about it. <laughs> and I'm like, Morgan, come on, dog. Come on, fool. You know, read a book. You, you know, you, you like, you've, been, you've played God before. Like, do the world a favor. And go on Wikipedia and read the page that dispels the fact that, you know, you only use, dispels the myth that you only use 10% of your brain. Come on, Morgan. Come on, dog. People love to say that still. They love saying it. Next time somebody says it, you or anybody listening, just fucking slap their face and, and, <laughs> and you know, like, take a marker and write the Wikipedia page on their forehead. But how, how does or, this work? Or, or, do that, do that. Let me Google that for you, you know, obnoxious fucking thing where like, you know, it's an animation that shows the mouse move up to the thing and like type in the basic word 
and then click enter, and then it gives you the search results. <laughs> Have you seen that? It, it, it doesn't sound like it. If you haven't, I'll send it to you. It's like a video that that is it a GIF or a video that says "Let me Google it." For, it's, no? it's, it, it, I think the acronym is the name of the website. Let me Google that for you. L L M G. You know whatever the rest of the sequence is. Yeah. And then, and you then have, it just it, it takes you to a little animated site that 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 you know Google's whatever idiot thing it was, and then it takes you to the Google results page for that site for that search. Oh, that's such a funny idea. I'll send it to you. I'll post it on 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 your Facebook. Um, and then, so what what sparked the ten percent thing when I was talking about pro the okay. right. So the same myth has been circulating in rollerblading that there are 100,000 rollerbladers. And it's totally unfounded. It's based on nothing. And there are lots and lots of people, far too many people, who for no good reason have just this ambient notion that there must be about 100,000 of us or so worldwide. And it's totally wrong. And it's totally delusional. And it's based on nothing. And I don't know where it came from. I think for whatever reason... People just think that, well, we're in a we're in a very severe state of modesty, so it must be the number must be low. But there's also a lot of people, and and surely there must be lots of guys in South America or China or somewhere, you know, who are inflating the numbers because, well, you know, never mind that I live in a metroplex of, you know, four million people and there's only twenty guys who skate in my town, you know, never mind those details. China must have a ton of guys. <laughs> There, there ain't a ton of guys. There's twenty thousand of us in the world. Such a logical idea, like, well, there's there's only twenty in most places, but there has to be like a couple places where there's like ten thousand. Yeah, yeah, in one city. Yeah, yeah, like like a whole neighborhood of rollerbladers all living in bunk beds, you know. <laughs> and and it, it, it like. It's comfortable for people it, it to is. think it that. Is. I think it, it's 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 like low enough that people are. It, it's high enough that it feels safe, but it's low enough that it feels like a dig. But it's so high, it's so high. Like there would have to be like five hundred guys in Kamloops for that number to work out. <laughs> I'd be able to have a shop, just a little shop on the side, maybe open three days a week or something. Yeah, and not even have a job. You'd be raking it 500 rollerbladers, dude. <laughs> See, at the the comfortable idea of 100,000 is you can tell yourself all kinds of stories related to that number. Yeah. You can, like, um, the idea of a pro and how many boots get sold and, you know, it's great. If you start a company, you know, you have 100,000 people that that might yeah, buy from you potential customers yeah it's great it sounds that it sounds viable and it's it's absolutely not <laughs> one of the things that i that i you know developed the model the way that i did was because i didn't want to base it on okay let's find out how many skates valo makes and then let's publish that number and let's base you know okay so if each guy buys one pair of skates per year on average you know then then how many people must there be if valo you know only makes this many skates and I didn't want to build a model that was going to come across as, you know, saying that some company is, you know, spiraling down the death spiral or whatever. Yeah. I didn't want to draw any attention to anybody in particular. 
particularly in a company because those guys are having a hard enough time just just you know keeping their head above water. Good call. That it just seemed like it'd be rude to, you know, punch somebody. You know, after the knockout, you know, you don't need that last punch. Yeah, that was a smart choice. I think I think it was better, like uh, just focusing on how many people in each town. And um, there's two. What was it? Two point five. We got two point five in Kamloops. Yeah, yeah, which is exactly what the model predicted you would have. And that was very accurate. Because you've got you and Todd and one guy who only skates like in the summer or something like that. Yeah, well, we or got guys, yeah, we got like two guys, two guys that might skate here and there and then there's maybe one but he's in vancouver and then yeah 2.5 was just a really good accurate number right um yeah so even even if you're even if if, you know your real number is three instead of two and a half you know and i I round up all the numbers anyway which got me to numbers like you know twenty five thousand, like that's a lot of people, and and the 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 thing that I think that's a good thing to end on is a, is a good you know upbeat note. Is that there's hardly anybody in the world who could say that there are twenty five thousand people that you could probably be good friends with. Yeah. Like anybody who's a rollerblader, you 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 like you have a chance of being a friend with them, or a homie, or whatever. Or, or know somebody who knows them or maybe saw a trick of them in an edit or had the language and history mm-hmm. to talk about. Um, yeah, that's a good call. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's 300 million Americans and like I'm going to hate a fucking ton of those guys. <laughs> like if, if I met them, I would walk away. You know, and, and there's not going to be that many people who, who have stuck through, stuck with rollerblading this long, you know, since 95 or since 2000 or 2005. If you've stuck with it this long, chances are you and I have something in common. Yeah, and I would love to hear podcasts with many of those people. I still want there to be, I know there's more rollerblading podcasts, but um, I want there to be even more because I would listen to I would listen to rollerblading podcasts more than other podcasts. Well, let me let me let me propose this. Let's 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 do this. Let's let's podcast you and me again sometime soon. Yes. Right? Like, let's say within the next four weeks. What do you think of that? Yeah, I'm into okay. it. I don't. If it's the next podcast, or you know, if if it's if it's you know, two days from now or two weeks from now, whatever. Let's do another one really soon, and and cover the things that we talked about and some other stuff. And then from there, whenever it's my turn again in 10 podcasts or so, let's, let's have set ourselves the homework to listen to other rollerblading podcasts. Because I haven't listened to any others. Oh, that's like good. It. That's good homework. And then, and then let's, have, let's have a podcast where we talk about the other podcasts. Yeah, that's really good. And just, you know, sort of do, uh, uh, you know, just, just a kind of debriefing on what these guys are about, what we think of what they're talking about. You know, I think that'd be cool. Yeah. And if you've made it to, Oh, go ahead. It would be a really easy way to help promote those guys. Yeah. Uh, anybody who's made it to this point, post up the rollerblading podcasts. If you can, I think there's that 
There might be, be. I don't even know. I don't even know what the other ones are. I think there's three of them, two or three of them, um, possibly, which is awesome. Um, and thank you, Frank, for staying up late for the listeners and for me. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, thanks, uh, thanks for having me on again. Let's do this again soon. And thanks everybody so much for uh, spending two hours and forty-seven minutes with us. <laughs> Definitely, uh, and we'll talk soon. Cool. Thanks so much. Later, Frank. Bye. Bye.